you don't know. Uh-uh. But, but you know, you save all my stuff and send them in boxes. Yeah, I do. I, yeah, I know. You, you get pretty good. Okay, Joe Stafford, Peggy Lee. Okay, all right. You you got all the old, really good music, the the hometown family type stuff. You got that was it. Good. That was good. All right. I'm I'm so happy that I found something you would like. Oh, I, I like almost everything, but I sometimes I can't think of what I want. Oh, so has it been hot all week, Ralph? When did it start to cook up in Northern California? Oh, the last couple of days it really started to come on. Mm -hmm. And uh, they say by the 4th of July it should be running up around 106 in Reading. <laughs> That's but, terrible. You know, it's it's not the same as when I lived back east. No, it, it's a different kind of heat. And in different parts of the country it's a different kind of heat. Now, I've got something that's a little bit scary for both of you. Mm -hmm. Daylight has been getting shorter for the last two weeks. Oh, really? So that means it's so much winter, huh? June, June 15th marks the next equinox. Mm. Oh, the early equinox, yeah. I'm sorry, it's getting... Oh, uh, I had a question for you, Patricia. Uh, uh, I, I've been there and I've seen it, but when do you have the Gasparilla Parade? Gasparilla. Gasparilla. On, on Gasparilla Island? No, no, it, it's in it's in Fort Myers. Well, um, gee, it used to be a big deal. The Edison Parade in February, but I don't I don't know about a Gasparilla. A Gasparilla, um, Gaspar was a pirate, and there's a yes. Pardon? Yeah, that, that's right. Okay. Well, I, I remember when my in-laws lived down there. We went to the Gasparilla Parade. I've never been to a Gasparilla Parade. I never knew we had one. Now you got homework. <laughs> hey, Liz. You homework. Well, you know, Gas Gaspar, it, there's really some interesting history in that. Um, he, he was quite literally a pirate. And when the uh, gendarmes started moving in on his ship, he refused to be taken, and he wrapped himself in anchor chains and threw himself overboard, so he drowned himself. And there's an island, Gasparilla Island, named after him here, but it truly is an island. It, there's, there's, you have to get there by boat. Now, Gaspar sailed along Sanibel Island, which is one of the coastal islands in my country. Oh, yeah, I know Sanibel. And he sailed those islands, and allegedly pulled in and used North Captiva as his headquarters. Uh, you know, yeah. His, well, you know, I, I think I told you once, uh, years ago, they built this beautiful bridge, went over to Sanibel huh? and Captiva. And we used to go over there when we visited uh, Fort Myers, huh? and there wasn't anything there. Now I understand it's very, very posh. It's very posh. More than up and very fancy. Yeah, more than fifty percent of the island is preserved. It's in natural preservation state, and nobody can build on it. And boy, you better not mess it up. They're they're really conservation conscious over there, um, you know. And it's it's an ecologically sensitive area, but um, you're right. It is very much an upscale area. Yeah, because it was uh, it was just like sand dunes when we used to go there. Very. Well, it's still it's still very rustic because they don't they don't 
rake the beach. They don't clear anything. Um, it, it's when I say natural, it's natural. There are houses built there, but nobody does anything bad. Uh. <laughs> you don't cut down a tree. You don't plant an, an Australian pine, which is an invasive. Uh, oh yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, so they're they're really very conscious of their in, ecology and environment over there. They really do a fabulous job. But Gasparilla Parade, boy, that's a new one on me. I'm going to have to go do my homework. Uh, I, I I may be wrong, but I I'm pretty sure. Well, it sounds like a great idea to me. If it if we don't have one, I hire you to make one, please. I, I, you can't do that. You can't. I, I don't work for wages. Oh. <laughs> oh. Volunteer your time on this. The bush just came by. Get some Christmas stuff out to you, and I'm so happy that it has a home. I was really happy when I found this stuff. It's it's new to me. Obviously, it's not new music, but it's new to me, and I'm really glad that um, you'll enjoy some of it. Oh, I certainly will. Very cool. Listen, uh, I'm going to leave you folks go back to your work, and uh, I'll just sit here and listen for the rest of the evening. Okay. Say hi to Tony for us. Yeah, okay. All righty. She just, yeah, she just went by her. She made a face at me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh I'll fix her. <laughs> All right, folks. I'll say good night to you. Oh, thank you so much. Good night. Hmm. You think he's going to make a fake at her? I'm, I don't know. Tony, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Bad Yeah. Okay, so what, what were you asking? You had a question, and I know I didn't have the answer. Oh, I was asking the, uh, we were on God Bless America. I want to know what year did he write it. Oh, um, 1916, 1918? Yes, very good. Yeah, why, why did he stick it away for 20 years? Well, somebody, he, he wasn't particularly fond of it, and somebody didn't want to buy it, so he just put it away. He thought there were so many war songs out already in World War One. he didn't think it was, there was a need in the market for it. Well, he he dug it out, um, Kate Smith and uh, her manager. Ted Collins. Right? Yeah. Wanted something for her show it, uh, because uh, the, the war was breaking out. It was 1938. And um, they asked for something that was both patriotic and reverent. And he reached in and pulled out God Bless America. He did make some changes to it. They weren't major, but he did make some changes that updated it and made it more appropriate for the particular um, situation that they were asking for. It was for her show. And she sang it for the first time. That was what Walden played for the first time on November 11, 1938. Yep, she on her show. Uh-huh. And... Uh, it was the first time, and from that point on, she closed every single show she ever did, radio and television, with God Bless America. It became her signature song. And what sporting event did she used to sing this at all the time? Oh, it was baseball. No, hockey. Hockey, right? Hockey. Right. And it was the, it wasn't the Rangers, was it the Islanders? No. Oh... Oh, Walden, help me here. Wait a minute. You, you're right. You're in the Northeast. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Patriots. No. No, Patriots aren't even hockey. Um, Celtics. No, not Boston. Not in Boston or New York. Oh, I don't know. Help me here. The Philadelphia Flyers. 
No kidding. Yeah. I never would have guessed that. Well, you were really close. Well, I got hockey. I want, a cre I want credit for hockey. You got hockey. Super. Right. Here. Uh, she performed God Bless America every week on a radio show, selling nearly 400,000 pages of sheet music. That wow. Was she was on radio. Yeah. Can you think the, the, the gift Irving Berlin left America? Think about it. I just incredible the music that he 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 gave he gave America God bless America, White Christmas, on Easter Parade and who and all the other famous songs. Just amazing. What what a legacy he left. Remarkable man. What a legacy. But that was the appropriate song for the Fourth of July celebration, and uh, I was just so happy that I came across that super version good. of it. It was the very very first one. George M. Conehan, we were talking, there, he, there, there was a movie that came out, uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy, 1942. Mm -hmm. It had always a 4th of July theme to that. Uh-huh. And... Shane Candy, very good. 714-545-2071. We're here, we're awake, we're live. We were live last week, which I was, Patricia was playing hooky. I was on. I was working. Hold, hold it, hold it, hold it. It's it's not my fault. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. You know it's not my fault. I well, but but I was working. I wasn't playing hooky. You fired me. <laughs> I would never fire you. You did. You let me go. You put me on furlough. No, I I I I London I for a week. I I I I gave you a little downtime. That's fine. But I wasn't playing hooky. Well, what were you doing without me last Saturday night? Well, just kind of cruising through the night. I did. I finished a couple of Time magazines that have been sitting here forever. <laughs> <laughs> you know how quickly Time magazine can pile up? It's a weekly. It's like Newsweek. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they, it, it's like a rabbit warren. You mean I have changed your life that dramatically that you had to catch up on your reading? Okay, this is true. This is this is true. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's like a rabbit hutch. You you put down one Time <laughs> magazine and you go back and there are seven in the pile. <laughs> it, it, they reproduce like bunny rabbits. That's a great question. What magazine people are getting still today? Are you getting Time or Life? I I like to know. Is it, is Life magazine still available? I have no idea. I haven't seen Life. Well, not. how about the Saturday Evening Post? I don't think that's even around. Well, let's go do our homework. I have some really fun stuff for you tonight. Aww. Every day evening post. Who was the famous cartoonist for the Saturday evening post? Oh, that would have been, um, Herschel? Hirsch. Yes? No? Mm -hmm. I was thinking somebody more famous. Oh, no, no, no. Norman Rockwell. Yeah, Norman Rockwell, who I was thinking of. Saturday evening post. Yep. A look back, contact us, Norman Rockwell. If it's a contact, yeah, an official site, they're still around. No kidding. I didn't think they were even publishing. Oh, well, let's see. Um, a retrospective. A look back at what America, wellness, lifestyle, art, literature, subscribe. Yes, they're still selling subscriptions, so I guess it's still around. Wow. All right, now. Well, I think it's collecting the money. <laughs> what, a, what an operation. <laughs> oh, Life Magazine. Let's see what happened to Life Magazine. 
and let's say hello there. You are on the air. It's it's Ralph again. Hi, Ralph. Again. <laughs> I was thinking. I didn't look it up anywhere, but the the, the horse name Ruth. Something came to mind. Now, I may not. I may not be right, but well, we know it's not Baby Ruth. Was it was it Andy Devine? Nope, wasn't Andy Devine. Yeah, that's the only one that came to my mind. I didn't hear toys with Jingles. Yeah. No, Jingles was his name. Andy Devine played Jingles in Wild Bill Hickok. Hmm. So what was his horse's name? Oh, I know what his horse's name is, but that's one that's on the list. I'm not going to give it away. Ah. Uh -huh. uh. Well, you know, Patricia, could you email me who it was? Oh, sure, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, you got me something that's bothering me. We'll do that immediately. Go check your email in about 10 seconds. <laughs> oh, you quick. And it's, it's going to, well, let's see, right here. Um, hold on. Do, 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 do. All right, well, I'll go upstairs and check it. Oh, Tony says Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Tony. Thank you. All right. She, she apologized for making the faces at me. <laughs> you should apologize to you, not to us. You know, we, we were having a glass of wine tonight. Uh huh. Oh, there you go. Well, she was just sitting there, and she, she says, I love you so much. I don't know how I could get by without you. Oh. And I says to her, is that you talking or is that the wine talking? She says, it's me. Oh, that is so sweet. Talking to the wine. <laughs> now, really, Ralph, that was a very sweet thing, Tony. Says she likes the wine better than me. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, I'll go check my email. I'll say goodnight again. Email, and when you're finished laughing, you can call us back. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. The question is, which TV character rode a horse named Ruth? And the answer is, I can tell you, it's not Baby Ruth. It is not Baby Ruth. <laughs> it is not Baby Ruth. But that's that. That's really. It's so way out. I came across that, and I thought this this just cannot be right. So the horsey questions that are out there. Um, who rode Loco? And I guess. That's the only horsey question that's out. I've got a bunch of other horsey questions, so you can give a call, 714-545-2071. We have some other trivia questions if you're not into horses. And uh, we're having a good time. Merry Christmas, Walden. Merry Christmas, Patricia. I was just trying to think of a, a Christmas trivia question out there to get out, get people in the mood to throw that in, uh, in there. Trivia, let me see here. I do believe... Um, Life Magazine is up here. It says, create your own life timeline. Uh, today's top photos. Life special. So I guess life is still being published. How interesting. All right. I wonder if we even still have magazine stands out there. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. All right. Let's see here. Seven, two. What have we... I mean, do we even have new paper boys that just stand in the corner of New York City selling new papers? I don't know about that. I think so. It's not safe to even walk in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see what we got here. Um, 
All right. Who can give me any three lines? I'll, I'll settle for two lines. All right. From the Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Mm -hmm. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Who can give me another line from the Grinch? That's a Christmas question. Uh-huh. And mine would be, what, the rich, what was the original name of Silver Bells? <laughs> I know the answer to that one. That's, that's really cute. If people have been listening, they know the answer. Are you with us? There we go. I plugged myself back together. We lost you? Yep, I was... See, I, no, I, was, I get scared. I think I'm out here all by myself when you disappear like that. Well... And for anyone who missed it, Walden just fell over and fell asleep one night. <laughs> and I was sitting here all by myself. No, you had a caller along with you. I didn't leave you alone. No, you didn't leave me alone. You just left me. You did do that. You know, folks... What? Everybody knows how adorable Patricia is. Do you really think I would leave her all by herself? Well, you're so lovable, and yes, you did. <laughs> all right, here's a trivia question. I think she looks to catch me red-handed red anytime she can. You're so easy. I know. It's so easy to catch you at stuff. That's okay, true. Edgar Bergen's daughter was sometimes referred to as Charlie McCarthy's sister. That's right. What was Edgar Bergen's daughter's name? So that one is tossed out there for tonight. Mm. I've got some really fun stuff for tonight. I have some Guinness World Book of Records. No, Book of World Records. Yes. Let's get that backwards. Are we ready? Sure. Okay. Here, here we go. The fastest 100-meter hurdles wearing swim fins. <laughs> <laughs> How do people think these things up? <laughs> All right. Fastest 100-meter hurdles wearing swim fins by a female was 22.35 seconds. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, 100-meter in 22 seconds is pretty good to begin with. I think Patricia could beat that, though. Not in swim fins. Not in swim fins? <laughs> I don't think so. You know what those things look like. They look like feet. I know. Goodness gracious. Okay, that was in Germany. Someone by the name of Marin Zunker. I think the name is appropriate. I think this one is pretty cool. Hmm. And this is all together in one lump. The most number, the, the greatest number of people dressed as Smurfs. Blue, little blue people? Uh-huh. 1,253. At the Mucknow Mania festival in Monaghan, Ireland on July 18th, 2008. Now, why 1,250 people would get dressed up like Smurfs, I do not know. But they did, and they made the Book of Records. That's probably why they did it. Okay, now here's a, here's a guess. For, yeah, that's probably why they did it. I don't know, but Smurfs, I mean, if all things to get dressed up, I wonder how they pick Smurfs. I mean, Smurfs are cute. You know, they're, they're fun little blue critters. Um, Here's a guess for you. The world's heaviest lemon. Now, lemons are, are kind of little. You know, they fit in yeah. the of your hand. Um, I would say 50 pounds. Oh, my God. A lemon. A well, lemon, yeah. Not an animal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, we're 
talking a baby elephant here? <laughs> well, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, well, the, the record is 11 pounds, 9.7 ounces. That's still pretty close to 50 pounds. 11 pounds is close to 50 pounds? Yeah, you're only 39 pounds away. When you weigh my chocolate at the counter, I want you. <laughs> I, I want you. I'm going to ask 11 pounds of chocolate, and you can serve me any time. Uh, I'll have a heavy thumb, yeah. That one was in Israel. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Israel. Um, and I you know, they, they have... Um, well, they have special uh, agriculture growing methods in, in Israel. Because water is so... Scares. Yes. They, 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 they almost need to create some uh, environments like that, and so I, I'm not surprised. They do. They, they obviously pipe in all of their water. Yeah. It's a, a desert environment, and they're. It's, it's got to be recycled too, probably. Yeah, and they grew the largest lemon. Okay, here we go. Uh, some guy whose name I cannot pronounce in Switzerland collected. <laughs> 8,888 different Do Not Disturb Hotel signs from 189 countries since 1985. You think he did that much traveling? Well, I, I guess he could just run in and down the hall and grab Do Not Disturb signs from the outside of the doors. I don't know. How How would you visit 100? Well, he, he had to, 189 countries. Maybe people sent them to him. Yeah, he probably has an official website. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. I mean, how could so? Well, you never know. People do weird things. But anyway, 8,888 do not disturb signs. Mm, 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 <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's pretty nice. Okay, the largest gathering of Santa Clauses. Oh, I bet about 10,000. 13,000! Wow. wow! In Northern Ireland, Derry City, Northern Ireland, on December 9th, 2007. Now, I don't know. They, they, when you look at these results, when you look at the records, they don't give you too much background information. So I don't know what the circumstances were. The 13,000 people dressed up in red suits showed up in Ireland. Well, yeah. you know, now, Santa must have been a little short-handed that year. Because everybody went and got together all one spot. Well, it was December 9th. They had time to disperse. Okay, okay. But maybe they were out of work. Well, I was just thinking all the little kitties out there in shopping malls were Santa. He's going to the Santa convention this year. Maybe these guys were out of work. I don't know. Uh, okay. okay. Right. Some guy named Furman, Ashrita Furman, crushed 80 eggs with his head in one minute. <laughs> at the Panorama Cafe in Jamaica, New York City. Well, I understand that, you know, uh, rotten eggs, some people use in shampoo mixtures, so I get that appropriate, huh? Well, then, when I get finished, I think I've only got two more. I, I do. I've only got two more on the list. While I'm reading these, I want, <laughs> want you to put your creative brain into operation and tell me if you were going to do something inane enough to get into the book of world records, what would you do? Now, this guy figured that he could he could hold the record in the greatest number of eggs crushed in one minute with his head, and only in New York City could that happen. Okay, a gourd. The Guinness World Record has confirmed that a massive pumpkin grown in Wisconsin is officially the world's heaviest pumpkin. Now we're into Walden's territory. How much is the world's heaviest pumpkin? Uh, 300 pounds. 
1,810 pounds. Wow. Now that is one heck of a pumpkin on steroids, huh? That's a, that's a great pumpkin pie. Wow. Okay. Now we're back in England again with the Smurfs. Mm -hmm. This guy began collecting Smurfs as a child, and when they were sold by a chain of garages across the UK, and he has never stopped. And as of January 28, 2010, he had collected a total of 1,061 Smurfs. Well, that doesn't sound like an awful lot, except he's got Christmas Smurfs, Easter Smurfs, Smurfs Smurfs, and Smurfs dressed as historical figures. So these are all special items. Hmm. I guess he's got a good Smurf collection. <laughs> I guess so. It rival Patricia's old-time radio collection. Yeah, it sounds yeah. really into Smurfs. Let me see here. The Smurfs, oh, the, the, the gathering of Smurfs was Ireland. This guy is in England. Okay, if you were going to get into the Book of Records by doing something in name, I know you're the only person in my life who could come up with something in name enough to do that. Hmm. What would you do? Trying to think of doing something with the Christmas theme here. I like visiting as many uh, as many places in the world during Christmas time. That doesn't sound as creative as breaking eggs with your head. I know. I know. Or maybe somebody can help us. Out. I know. I thought about eating, but I don't want a, a stomach ache. Hello there. Hello, this is your roving reporter, Chad Blue, calling from a very, very, very special location. Oh, you are. Chad Ballou. Are you are you at, are you in the Christmas tree farm in Wisconsin, or where are you tonight, sir? Uh, not this time. Actually, I am right at the moment. I am standing uh, outside the uh, Pennsylvania State House in Philadelphia. Pennsylvania, and the date is July 2nd, 1776, uh, and there is a very special event just happening over inside the Pennsylvania State House um, that I'm going to be reporting on today. Okay, are you going to be able to get any one-on-one -on -one interviews with any of the delegates at, at this event? Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to get any one-on-one -on -one interviews, mm -hmm. but um, I should be able to get some, uh, I should be able to get some of their comments on Mike as they are debating. Perfect, perfect. So, so are you going to be able to call us throughout the night with comments, or are you going to be able to figure this all out fairly quickly? Well, I'm going to uh, stay here uh, for the next, uh, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes and report on I'm standing outside at the moment, yeah. and I'll be going inside in a minute to give you the report. Perfect. Have any idea who's attending the event? Uh, quite a few uh people you've probably never heard of because uh, they haven't done a whole lot, but uh, this is the uh, members of the Second Continental Congress state who have been meeting here for a few months now. Um, excuse me. Uh, can you hear all those bells out there? Um, that's coming right from the bell tower of the state house here, the wow. state house. And before I go in, I, I do have a little information about uh, this State House um, was actually built between 1732 and 1753. Um, it was designed by Edmund Woolley and Andrew Hamilton, and it was built by Woolley. Um, it was commissioned by the, the colonial legislature of Pennsylvania, so um, they paid for it as 
funds became available. But it's located here right on Chester Street between uh, 5th and 6th Street, right here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And um, So how did, he get, up, how did he get there, Shad? Did he go by horse? Well, how did he get to Pennsylvania that time around? Well, it's sort of my own invention, and it's a little... Um, I'm not going to tell you a whole bunch about how it works, because I don't want anyone to steal on my invention. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this has been the principal meeting place of the Second Continental Congress mm -hmm. for um, since about la sometime last year, in 1775. Mm -hmm. um, and who, who, is the, who is the president of the, of the, of the uh, Second, Con Second Continental Congress? Uh, well, I should think you should know the answer to that. Well, I do, but, but I, I, I didn't know if they've already changed office uh, office yet. Oh. Last, I last I knew it was, okay. it was some insurance guy named John Hancock. Yeah, yes, it is. Okay, okay. Yes, they know who's still in power. Um, you'll have to excuse the noise. I don't know if you can hear all the carriages passing by, but you'll have to excuse that noise. Okay, okay. Uh, Mr. Book, the dog. Hello? Mr. Yes. Ballou, um, could, could we go back to your actual identity and tell me where are you calling from tonight uh, philadelphia pennsylvania uh, 1776 and um excuse me um there seems to be a lot of dogs around here i think i'm gonna go right inside right now okay if you don't mind because uh, there's too many dogs out here too many dogs out there i don't know if you could hear them the last time you called us you were in a tree where are you tonight philadelphia pennsylvania are you really in philadelphia 1776, to be exact. This is going to be a long night, isn't it? Uh, sure, why not? Um, I, uh, I think I'm going to go upstairs now to my soundproof booth, uh, so, so um, we won't have so many interruptions. <laughs> we have so. We have um, I'm the only interruption. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Maybe you couldn't hear the people talking there in the background. Oh, okay. I couldn't hear the people talking in the background. How are you doing? This is really neat that you're calling in tonight. Where are you calling from this time? Philadelphia. Oh, um, I'm Right now, I'm walking up the stairs to the second floor. Okay. Uh, I have my soundproof booth up there, so we... Are you going to be able to still watch the delegates in action, though? Uh, yes, I okay. do have a small window that I've specifically put in for this purpose. Okay. Um, actually, not too many people know about it, so I hope I didn't do anything wrong. But anyway, I will be, I don't think anyone will catch me by the time I'll, I'm done with this broadcast. Mm -hmm. So, if all goes well, that is. Right. Is your brother oh. Wally there tonight? Hey, what? Is your brother Wally there tonight? Uh, no, I, uh, he's on another assignment. Um, apparently, there's in there's some big, huge ship out who struck an iceberg or something, and I'm not quite sure, but uh, he's on there uh, giving a live report on a uh, network. Um, anyway, out here I'm right at my room, so I better go inside. Ah. The door closed. I heard that. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, my chair is a little squeaky, so mm -hmm. you'll have to pardon that. But, um... Ben Franklin will... Wait, um, say what? Ben Franklin will fix that right up. Oh, yes, he will. Um, I could, uh, if you'd like, I could give you a little uh, history on the event that is taking place today. If, uh, Please do. Like. Please do. Um, well, maybe it's more of a lot of history. Um, depends how in-depth you want me to go. But I figure it is a historical occasion, and I am here live, so I could give you a, quite an in-depth 
look at the situation as it is unfolding at this moment. I'm all I'm all ears. What you got? Okay. Well, um, where to start? Well, you may have heard uh, rumors that uh, the Continental Congress was thinking of declaring independence from the uh, British colony, uh, the British Crown. Excuse me. Um, in part to the Stamp Act of 1765 and the Townsend Act of uh, 1767, um, because the colonies are um, are not directly represented in Parliament, and the colonists would like to be, um, because of the, all the heavy tax that are being levied on them, they don't feel that they are represented properly in Parliament. Um, excuse me, I'm just perusing my notes. Um, the, although many colonists um, no longer think that Parliament uh, has any sovereignty over them, uh, some of them still profess loyalty to the king because um, they hope he will intercede on their ha behalf because they think the government is mainly the culprit, if you will. Um, if, however, uh, last year they've been disappointed because the king rejected Congress' second petition um, yeah, and issued a proclamation of rebellion and also announced that Parliament had announced that in Parliament on October the 26th, I believe it was, um, that he considered them friendly. Uh, he was even considering friendly offers of foreign assistance to suppress the rebellion. And, and we have reports that he has hired mercenaries from Germany, I believe it is. Um, and then January of this year, uh, as it became clear that the king was ignoring the colonists, um, the pamphlet you may have read by Thomas Paine came out, and uh, so in the uh, Continental Congress that has been, they have been debating independence, um, not many of the pub general public have been, and the Thomas Paine's pamphlet, Common Sense, really started a lot of people debating over it, and so it's a pretty timely document or pamphlet that he uh, published. Um, any questions? Am I going too fast here? No, no, I'm all yours. I can... Okay. Uh, okay. Well, boy, there's a picture for your mind. Mm-hmm. I'm all yours, yeah. Big ears. Um, anyway, um, in February, uh, after the colonists learned Parliament passed a prohibition prohibitory act um, which established a blockade of American ports and also declared American ships to be enemy vessels. Um, John Adams, who is a strong supporter of independence, um, believed that because of that, Parliament had effectively declared American independence before Congress was even able to. Um, he called that act a act of independency, um, also a complete dismemberment of the British Empire. So, and support of declaring independence grew even more after that. Um, and after King George, and after it had been confirmed that King George had hired German mercenaries. Um, so, congressional delegates, um, excuse me, in April, after, well, they're, what they're calling a complex political war, uh, to Excuse me, I'm mind blank. Um, after complex political war, um, to declare independence or to, to not declare independence, um, one of the 
opponents or opponents of independence was uh, Dickinson, or excuse me, yes, just correct me if I'm wrong, of course. Um, anyway, um, I fear that I'm rambling, am I? No. You're doing good. Anyway. You're doing good. So we're still in April, right? Yeah. Uh, many Americans were, well, they formally expressed support for separation from Great Britain. Um, and actually several state and local governments also did um, through April and also even up until this month. Um, some were written instructions from such as the Halifax Resolve um, in April. North Carolina became the first colony to explicitly authorize its delegates to vote for independence. So in a way, that is a local declaration of independence. Mm. Can I hop in with questions as you go? Yes. Yes? How many delegates refused to vote for independence? How many did not sign the declaration? Um, uh, at this moment, um, they have not vo they have not voted to de declare independence yet. So um, they will be doing that shortly. Um, in actually, they're almost coming to blows, but they are still debating at this moment. There has not been a vote as of yet. Um, uh, there should be several since um, they're. They have been authorized to vote for independence. There should be several who will vote for independence. Um, uh, Rhode Island, uh, for one, has been uh, authorized to vote for independence, and North Carolina, like I just mentioned. Um, and in May, Rhode Island uh, also uh, they actually declared independence from Great Britain, as well as authorizing their delegates to vote for independence for the colonies as a whole. Um, well, when, when the end of the day gets there, how, how many are going to vote for and how many against? Um, well, I'm not sure. We'll have to see. Um, we'll probably be able to uh, hear some of the votes live when it does happen. Um, uh, <laughs> excuse me. This is Yesterday USA. We have Chad Blue at the Philadelphia uh, Capitol building. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to wind up in a minute. We're, we're reporting on the Continental Congress. Are we running out of time? Yeah, we're we're running a little short on time. That's why. I'm, forgive me. I was I was. Uh, do you have a live interview? I was coming to the. Uh, I was cutting to the chase and and the bottom line about how many voted for and how many against on the Constitution. Uh, not the Constitution. The uh, Declaration. Uh, are you having some kind of live interview later? Uh, I could that I could call back uh, when they are finally about to go. When go. when you have uh, some additional information about how the vote is going, we'd love to hear from you. We do. Okay, I can do that. Um, well, then for the moment, I shall say uh, pleasant, pleasant, pleasant evening. Uh, yes, uh, and this is Chad Blue reporting live uh, throughout the night from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the uh, Philadelphia State House, and uh, on July 2nd, 1776, and good evening to all. Thank you, Mr. Ballou. We'll hear from you soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye. And there's Chad Ballou. Chad Ballou, that is Chad from Nebraska, one of our regular 
chat room people who comes up with more creative ways to make a phone call than anybody <laughs> I know. 714-545-2071. All right, so let's see. Guinness Book of World Records. Guinness Book of World Records. Would you like me to give you some useful... I, I, I always have useless but, but fun information, but I've got some useful and fun information. Do you want to... How many, um, seriously, how many, well, you're, you're a pretty husky guy. How many could you eat, do you think? I don't really know. I don't eat a lot. I really don't. I, I, I think, well, you know, I mean, I look at these people shoveling food in their mouths. I, I'm nowhere in that category. Nowhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd be, you know, if I didn't have anything to eat, I, I could probably get at least six to twelve. I think that would be okay. Uh-huh. I, I think you'd lose, but... Oh, I know I would, but... But I, I think I think you could probably get six down. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm a chocolate lover. I don't know if I could if I could do that. Um, let me let me do uh, the questions that are still out. Mm -hmm. I asked last week what Mr. Peavy's first name was, and we didn't get a call on that. I needed to know the name of the character played by Ransom Sherman on Fibber McGee and Molly. That one's been out for a long time. In Dragnet, who Frank Smith was. And we've got some horses. Who rode, ah, uh, let's see, who rode Loco and who rode Ruth, a horse named Ruth, and that was a television horse. I've got a whole bunch of other horses here for anybody who wants to give a shot at, at horses here. Okay, useful and fun. This is advice from a burglar. What could you do for the Guinness Book of World Records? Patricia? What would I do? What could you do? What could I do? Well, I guess, you know, the person who sat the longest and looked for trivia. <laughs> that could do it. You know, I, I think I could do that, uh -huh. and I'd, I'd have to set up my little workstation here and have a few. I'm, you're allowed to take a break. I don't know how many minutes an hour or how many minutes every two hours. I think I think people allow five minutes per hour. You can do a lot in five minutes. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, gee, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit more creative than that. I have the, the world's longest Monopoly game, so we're out of luck there. Mm -hmm. Unless you can beat 70 days. 70 days? Can you imagine? Um, That's a long time. I would have to think about that. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be food. I like food. I like food a lot. But I, I could not. You know, they have the July 4th eating contest. I, I couldn't see doing that. My eating contest and stuff? No. No. No, I'd like to enter, but I'm not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to enter. Okay, if I'm a burglar... The first thing I'm going to do is knock on your door to see if anybody's home. How about that? That's very nice. Yeah. There, there used to be another trick, but, of course, everybody's walking around with cell phones now. The old trick used to be to uh, make a phone call. And if the answering machine picked up or you heard the phone ringing and nobody picked up, then you knew nobody was home. So I thought that was pretty good. Never knew that. All right. The best deterrent. 
bet deterrent of having... And can be even better than the best alarm system, a loud TV or a radio playing. Huh, interesting. Uh, you used to be able to buy, for $35, you used to be able to buy a device that worked on a timer that simulated the flicker of a television. So when you were walking past the house, mm -hmm. it would look like a television was on, hmm. but you can't buy them anymore. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it was only $35, too. Hmm. That was pretty good. Okay. And on the, on the bargain basement? Shopping for bargains? Yes. Bargains are at the bottom. The lower prices are on the lower shelves. So always look down. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Pricey stuff has the, the eye level positions mm -hmm. are the most expensive places that mm -hmm. the manufacturers rent. I mean, manufacturers pay for space for their products. And supermarkets, I mean, you know that, because your, your brother is in the supermarket business. Right. Um, but because it costs the most, the products that, it costs the manufacturers the most to put their products on that shelf, they are also the priciest products. But when you look down on the bottom, you'll frequently find the store brands or the lesser expensive brands, and they're on the, the less expensive shelves. You know, the, the cheaper product sure. can't afford to buy the most expensive visibility places. So sure. so look down. If you're looking for bargains, start at the bottom and work your way up. And this is good stuff. This is this is interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's see. All right, now we've got useless but fun stuff. Yeah? I'm all use. All right, small animals like bats and shrews. Shrews are, are, are little mousy-type critters. Right consume up to one and a half times their body weight in food every single day. Hmm. For an adult male, in, in people terms, mm -hmm. it would be the equivalent of eating 1,000 quarter-pound cheeseburgers every day. Well, I know I'm quite not in that league. I'm <laughs> not in that league either. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> let's see now. <laughs> Hitchcock bought the rights. Okay, Alfred Hitchcock, he bought the rights to to the novel Psycho, anonymously, from the author for $9,000. Uh, I seem to remember hearing that. How about that? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Um, let's see. The movie was referred to uh, during filming uh, because they wanted to keep it under wraps. He also went around and bought up as many copies of the novel as he could to uh, keep the ending a secret. During, during filming, the movie was referred to as Production 9401. It didn't even have the name of it up there. Let's see what else. Contrary to popular rumors, during the shooting of the shower scene, Alfred Hitchcock did not arrange for the water to suddenly go ice cold when the attack started. I guess that was supposed to give the Janet Lee the <laughs> really shocking stuff. Okay. All right. Of all the professionals in the United States, of all the professionals, who has the largest vocabulary? Well, I heard something that's hard for me to believe about the, the, the difference between females and males. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, but uh, no. regarding regarding that uh, similar topic, let's see here. Males who have... Um, well, I would say college professors. Journalists, which makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. The average vocabulary for journalists, and I don't know who they put in the category of journalists, whether mm -hmm. it's all writers or just newspaper people or, 
you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know who goes into that, but they're obviously they're among the writers of the world. Mm -hmm. 20,000 word vocabulary. Mm. That's a lot of words. Interesting. Yeah. In any given week throughout the year, an average of 2.3 million Americans are on paid vacation. No wonder the country's in problems. 2.3. I mean, that's really not a whole lot of people when you no. think about, you know, getting three or four weeks vacation yeah, a year. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Google. We looked up, you and I looked mm -hmm. up the meaning of the word Google. Right. Remember what the definition is? It was some form of a number, but I don't remember yeah. what it is. Google is actually a number, and I didn't know that until you told me. It, it is the number one followed by 100 zeros. I guess when you get that many zeros, it doesn't have a name yet. Well, Google is the name, though. I wonder what one followed by 90 zeros is. Uh, Google it? I don't think so. Oh, okay. All right. The most valuable nutrients in a potato. If butter. <laughs> like the way you say this is good in the, <laughs> they're in the potato skin oh i love potato skin that's very good stuff yeah and you had a question before before i finished i do the rest of this stuff i was waiting for you when you got done and said okay Wong. all right well let me i've only got a couple of more okay. kitty cats kitty cats purr uh-huh never stop purring uh-huh whether and um, when they're purring, they they do not stop to inhale. They just keep purring, whether they're breathing in or breathing out. Ah, uh, I guess they want to make sure you, they know where you don't step on them. So there's well, there's some kind of a motor. I, I don't know where they and a cat motor. Yeah, they got this little motor. Your your purr button. Yeah. All right. The average major league baseball. The actual. Mm -hmm. the, the thing. Yeah. The, How long does it last? The spear. Uh, well, major league. Uh, now we go to several dozen, several dozen balls. So, in, in terms of batters, in terms of time. Pitches. Uh, well, let's see. I would say about eight pitches. Boy, are you good at seven pitches? Wow. I would. I wouldn't have. Just. I wouldn't have taken a guess. I actually. I would have guessed less than that. Mm -hmm. As. You know, foul balls and right. foul tips, and right. it hits the dirt. Hit the dirt, yep. Messed up. So I thought seven pitches was kind of high, but yeah. you're really good. Ah. You are really good. Ah. Okay, how many radios were there in 1938? In, in the country? Uh-huh, in America. 50 million. No, 27.5. Wow. That's still a lot of radios. Still a lot of radio. Number of households. Yeah. Was in a probably like a 10 or 15 year span, if you think about it. Yeah. Okay, what was your question? The question is, what? how many words that the average male say a day and the average female says a day? <laughs> <laughs> this is a loaded <laughs> I never heard this until within the last week or so. Oh, I'm going to verify it. You you know that, right? That's okay. All right, I'm going to go out and, and I'm going to verify that well, women really do have more words than that. <laughs> um, let me think. And I can guarantee you, everybody, that Patricia doesn't meet the qualification. She doesn't? No. No kidding. Well, you don't. 
I talk too much or too no, little? No, no, no. You're all by yourself. There's nothing to talk to. Ah, well, I, I talk to myself. I know. That's true. I'm a very good listener, too. I know. I'm a captive audience. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get up and walk away from That's it. That's true. Um, all right, so everybody, that's a good question. What, how much, how many words does the average male say a day and the average female says a day? If the male is in an office setting, the female, female has usually spends more time with the kids. Boy, you know, I really don't know. We can talk at, what, 100, uh, average, average, Speed of speech is, if you're talking normally, like I don't, 100 but, words a minute, 125 words, about 125 words a minute. Does that, was, is that right? Well, I was listening to a um, an NBC special I picked up. I have a copy, they copied it. In the mid-30s, late 30s, they had a, a speed speaking contest between three famous radio announcers. And Ben Growl won it at 430 words a minute. For a speed, and what was what? <laughs> and what was what is the average? I suppose I should look. I don't know, but I, you would think it's got to be between eighty to a hundred. And, and my guess would be closer to one hundred and twenty-five. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. They, if you've got someone dictating, they tend to dictate slower. But a person, well, I don't know. All right, um, t- talk to me about the male and female thing. Well, uh, I can tell you that the female speaks a little more. A little more? <laughs> how, how, how little more? Uh, 50% more. <laughs> That's not a little more. <laughs> All right. So they say the average male speaks 6,000 words a day, and the average female speaks 9,000 words a day. I have no idea if that's correct, but that's just the only thing that's been thrown out there lately. This is discouraging. 6,000 words, that's not an awful lot of words. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, uh, honey, what are we having for breakfast? What am I going to have for dinner? I love you, and I'll, I'll see you when I get home. That's about it, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. All right. <laughs> um, our speed and average different. Average speed. Um... I don't think we're talking miles an hour here. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they're trying to pass us off as. Okay, speed reading test, speed of speech, and its implications. Hmm. More to do with plausibility, how fast, uh, how many words, um, words per minute. Why don't I just say average speed words per minute? <laughs> Um, you have to keep talking while Yep, I'm... we're still waiting for a report from Chad Blue to figure out when the voting is done what happened. That's in play. Uh, Ron from Hawaii is planning to give us a call over three hours from now. Uh, we do have some radio shows tonight, everybody. Uh, Screen Guild and Fibber, if we get to it. We have Christmas in July. We have the topic tonight is the 4th of July. And next week we're having a guest. We're having a super guest. And you want to disclose who he is at the moment? Sure. 
All right. Who are we going to talk to? We're going to be talking with Donnie Pitchford, who is the president of the National Lum and Abner Society. Donnie has been with us before. He talks, I mean, he is just so good about Lum and Abner, but he also performs Lum and Abner plays when they have Lum and Abner conventions together. He does voiceovers for comics, Lum and Abner comics, which he also draws, and he is a master at caricatures. So he's going to be really interesting. The Comic strips are brand new. They're only up to the fifth or sixth comic strip, and he's drawing them. They're being published in a Kansas. Is it Kansas? Nope, Kansas? Arkansas. 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 Oh, silly me. Of course it's Arkansas. Yeah. I had the Kansas part, right? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, I just left off a few letters. Yeah, I just take the R A R off, and you yeah, got the answers. Yeah. I tripped on the way in the door. <laughs> So he's, he's going to be a really fun guest. Um, you can visit the National Lum and Abner Society by going to, is it Lum and Abner? Society.org. Society.org. And it's a fun site to visit. You can sign up. You'll get some information periodically from Donnie about what's going on in the society. You'll get newsletters. All sorts of goodies are up there. So Donnie will be with us next week. That's Donnie Pitchford, who is president of the Lum and Abner, the National Lum and Abner Society. Guess what I'll be doing next Saturday before the show? What? I'll be visiting one of the legendary writers at his apartment at 3 o'clock in the afternoon up in L.A. Which will be? Norman Corwin. Norman Corwin. Yeah. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. What are you going to be doing with him? Oh, we're discussing the future, his, some of the future projects we're working on. And, you know, we're, we're thinking about his legacy. So we've been invited to go up and talk to him about it. How exciting. Yeah. That will be really fun. So that will be next Saturday afternoon. So when I get back, we'll be the show and... Should be we should be all on time, so I, I can report how Norman's doing at age one hundred and one. Remarkable person. Yep. yep. All right. Are you looking for speech speeds here? All right. What do we got? Audiobooks are recommended to be one hundred and fifty to one hundred and sixty words per minute, which is the range that people can comfortably hear and speak. Mm hmm. That's interesting. Research has demonstrated that adults can listen with full comprehension at 300 words per minute, which would dovetail perfectly with what Kurt has been talking about with the speed software that he has to speed up the sound of shows and audiobooks without elevating, you know, like making it sound like Mickey Mouse. The, right. the stays the same, but it's absolutely double of what the average is. Hello, Dave. Hello, this is your roving reporter again, and they are about to start the vote, All right. if anyone is interested. We are sure definitely interested. How did it go? And I, uh, I will try to bring you uh, some of these speeches um, if my audio equipment holds out. Um, just to, re to say what they are voting on, um, Representative Lee of Virginia was instructed to ask the Congress that they vote for independence, and after much debate yesterday, they passed that resolution. Uh, several were opposed to it in the beginning, but they passed it, and so today they are actually voting on independence, um, and uh, they actually have, they're voting on a declaration in a way, but the um, 
they had a committee draft a Declaration of Independence. They have not finalized the wording, but they are actually voting on independence today um, without written without it written out exactly. But in the next few days, they will review the declaration, which gives the reasons why they are now voting today for independence. And um, oh, and it looks like they are about getting ready to. Um, um, Mr. Adams is stepping up to the podium right now, and it uh, looks like he has a few words to say. Uh, let's take you right now to the Assembly Hall in uh, Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia State House in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, July 2nd, 1776. That was Mr. Adams speaking for independence. I hope you were able to hear that. We got a little bit of it. We down at the microphone way far away. But we got a little um, bit there. I'll see if I can uh, as you say, turn the pot up. All right. Okay. The opponent has just stepped up to the podium. Uh, Mr. Dickinson, who is so far against independence, although he does want the whole committee uh, excuse me, the whole Congress to be in full agreement. However, he is making one last-ditch effort to oppose independence, so let's see, see what he has to say right now. My opponents are citizens. They do not, they cannot. The these colonies will be able to ensure an independent state. Their goal is not independent. They exploit indignation against the mother country to further their own personal fortune. This is great. My opponents make their appeal to the emotion. I make my appeal to intelligence and logic. Strengthen. British troops are on Staten Island in overwhelming force. They are about to attack New York.
and I hope you were able to hear that. Well, we really appreciate the update, Mr. Ballou. You keep us posted on what is happening there, please. And uh, yeah, they are about to take the vote. Uh, President Hancock is about to introduce it. Uh, let's see what he has to say. Well, then I'm going to click off here for a bit. Okay, they are... They are getting ready to vote, and hopefully we will be able to tell you that in a few short moments, the American colonies actually have independence, and they are, they are starting to vote. Uh, this, 
This has been Chad Ballou reporting live from... Oh, oh no. I'm afraid I have a little problem with my time. Uh-oh. 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 Ooh. Um, uh, well, um, I'm afraid my time machine seems to have broken down. Um, um, I don't know what to do. Um, I guess I'll have to go to the, uh, ye old time machine shop around the corner and see if I can get a replacement part. Um, <laughs> let's see what I have. Oh, nah. I should have known. This goes out all the time. It, uh, it's all these things. Um, seems that my Dynaflux Superflowing Unit Jet Turbo Vasculator, which is synchromeshed with the multi-coil hydro-tension dual-vacuum dynamometer, has broken, so I'll have to see if I can get another one and um, see if I can get back home. Um, this has been Chad Blue reporting live from Philadelphia on July 2nd, 1776, and hopefully I'll get home and talk to you guys later. Oh, it's a later. CC got home. Thank okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Blue. Wish Thank, me luck. Thank you, Chad Blue. Bye. Bye. Good grief. Hope you got enough pennies to buy a unit that matter that dramatic time machine over the corner of Philadelphia Street. Good grief. Good grief. Well, only yesterday USA we have uh, uh, reporters. You know what I was thinking, Patricia? You know what you and I need to do five years from now? Five years from now? Uh-huh. What? We should go to Philadelphia. It'd be the 250th birthday. As in you and I? As you and I. Go to Philadelphia? Well, won't they have the big celebration? Well, I suppose so. Oh. Probably have one in Williamsburg, too. Yeah, true. Well, okay. You want to go to Williamsburg? Williamsburg? I like Williamsburg. Okay, we'll go to Williamsburg. And and in July, it's probably beautiful there. Ah, okay. Somebody from Virginia has to give us a call and let us know what the weather is in Virginia. But I was just thinking, you know, we're getting close to the anniversary of the uh, country, five five years from now. I went to Virginia one time to go to Williamsburg. Yeah. And it was in January, and everybody kept telling me how mild the winters are in Williamsburg. I, I, was in, I was there in July. My camera froze. Uh-oh. Could take no pictures. Um, I did not go to the camera shop. I later talked with another, um, someone who worked for the same magazine and was doing photography work. And he said, you know, you can, you can buy units where you keep them inside your coat and put the batteries in there so the batteries don't freeze. But this was the mild winter in Williamsburg. I was so cold. Oh, Walden. Oh, bunny rabbit Patricia. I was so cold. So January. I, I, I'm not going back in January. I went in July, so that was okay. Yeah, July July is good. So okay. we'll we'll go to Williamsburg. I think that's a good deal. Two hundred fifty. I I would love to see our country's birthday. Some of the great places like oh that. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! What a place that is. Yeah. It really is a fabulous place to be and see. Hooray for us! Hooray for, for us. us! Okay, well. We've got some stuff to give away. We've got Merry Christmas all over the place because it is not only Happy Independence Day, hooray for us, yep. coming up, but we've also got Christmas in July. And I wonder who's responsible for that. Uh, well, it was a caller, a listener, who became a disc jockey, Lynn Noyce, who was responsible for the idea. They used to complain how hot and dry it was in Arizona in July, and they thought, Christmas shows will help cool them off. So I have to 
tipped the idea to Mr. Lenoise for that. And that was all you needed. That's to all I would needed. Kick and, off another month in July. Uh -huh, and yeah. just in case people are interested, Walden and I are putting together some ideas for it this coming Christmas. Yes. We're, 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 we will take donations. And <laughs> chocolate. You know, you can send your chocolate-covered <laughs> donations to to uh, to 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive, uh, Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, 75081. Just put the... Just just make sure to put in big letters, Patricia and Walden on the box, and it'll get forward to us. How are they going to forward one box to two people? Well, we have to have a strategy. I, I think I think what we'll do, we'll ask Kim to open up the box, and if it's chocolate-covered strawberries... Don't touch them. We'll, we'll, we'll subdivide them. We'll share. We'll, we'll, we'll share. We'll share. Uh -huh. Or you could send it to Walden and he'll send me half. That's true. That's true. <laughs> or you could email them all to Patricia at floraWriter at Hotmail.com and she'll make sure I get my half, too. We'll get pretty gooey in there. I know, but it'll taste really good when it, once it drops into the inbox. Chocolate is one of the four basic food groups. Mm, what are the other three? Chocolate, uh, dark chocolate, uh -huh. white chocolate, uh -huh. and... Chocolate milk. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wash this stuff down with something. Chocolate milk? Yeah. Chocolate so, milk. So you need chocolate syrup too? Well, yeah, but that's kind of milk chocolate type stuff. That's milk chocolate Chocolate, stuff. chocolate milk, you get your protein out of milk, so... So this is good. So I've got some Christmas stuff to give away here. Mm -hmm. I've got 25 volumes of the True Value Happy Holidays Christmas volumes. These are, and these are Christmas... Like records, you know, right. the, the old 70, not 78, the uh, 33 RPM? The, those, things that, that, those things that were plastic and were round? Yeah, those disky type things. Those, oh, those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only you're going to get them on CD, and there are 25 volumes in this True Value Happy Holiday things. I've got uh, a huge collection of individual... Um, Merry Christmas from the 1940s, a Merry 1940s Christmas. Got Christmas Serenade with, in the Glenn Miller style. I've got a little bit of Duke Ellington, Doris Day, Peggy Lee, Joe Stafford. A Christmas Carol, the, the story, The Christmas Carol Told by Vincent Price. I had never heard that one before. And he's one of my favorite people, so that's kind of fun. So I've got all of this great Christmas music to give away and Christmas goodies, and I have radio shows to give away. You have to answer some questions for me. But I know you can do that. 714-545-2071. Walden is standing by. The phones are open. How's the weather in Florida? Weather in Florida is good. I do have to tell you that... Um, Goodness gracious, it was Dan. I'm sure it was Dan. I know it was Dan. Hold on. <laughs> I have to make sure I have my people correct here. Somebody found. Don't go away. Yes, it was Dan Bays. Dan, uh, who is the historian. From Indiana. In, yep. Mm -hmm, he found a website that I had visited before, but he passed it on to me, and I said, you know, this is really something that needs to be shared. So he's going to give us a call, I hope, later on, and give the address of this really great website. It's got radio shows, information about individual performers, 
it will do a search. It's got a whole list of individual performers, uh, including Dennis Day, Jack Benny, um, Hal Perry, all of the performers we know. You click on it, click on their name, and the search engine returns a whole collection of shows that they were in. Wow. I mean, isn't this so cool? So I'm not going to give it away. That's, <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, just, it stands to give away. And uh -huh. if he doesn't call in tonight, I, I will do that. But I'm, I want to give him the credit for this because he, he passed it on to me. And, you know, as I, as I say, I, I had visited it before, but I really spent some time. And it's, it's a, after he sent me the link to it. And uh, it's, a, it's a really fun site. So, Dan, pick up the phone and give us a call and talk with us about this wonderful site. Otherwise, I'm going to give away your secret and tell everybody where it is. So there. How about that? 714-545-2071. Patricia and Warren are back together like we always should be. Yes, and who, who went away last week? I left Patricia behind. Okay, all right. Uh, now we've got it straight. I did not play hooky. I was here. I was available. Yes. She was standing by the phone waiting all night. Nobody called. Nobody called. Don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Okay. If I would have called, would you answer the phone? I certainly would have. Okay. Oh, of course I would have. So I said, Even though you're reading... What? Reading time and everything else, you would still answer the phone? Oh, of course. Of course. Actually, I had a very good time. <laughs> I, I did. You know, I read and I watched one of my favorite television shows and, you know, just kind of cruised around and did some chores. I'm going to play hooky. See, I, I got fired last week, but one night I'm... Fired? I, fired? I, I got put on unauthorized leave. Fired? <laughs> I got put on leave. I No, I just gave you vacation time. All right. That's acceptable. Well, let's see. How often have I let you not come out and play on Saturday night? You haven't been Third too time. many. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was a convention, too. Yep. Well, you know, we got to put a stop to these. You, you, can, you, you, need to, you need to just come with me. It'd be easier. That way I don't lose track of you. Oh, that, that might you know, I, you know, it's getting to the point. In, these it, conventions are intruding on our... I know, on our, on our, on our private time. I think, yeah. I, I, think, I, think you just, I think you just have to come with me. That way I don't lose track of you. Okay. You know? Okay. I think that's fair. That's good. 714-545-2071. That's to donate to the Patricia Travel Fund. We will be welcome. Oh, Money, just donation, chocolate would be fine. <laughs> you know, we can always turn the chocolate into travel fun. Oh know. my goodness, yes. You know, chocolate acceptable. Chocolate is yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh. Okay. I have a I have a money saving thingy here. Oh, good. This is how people can save their money. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is kind of good. And uh. maybe everybody knew this, but I didn't know it until a while ago. Excuse me. <laughs> That's when, Patricia. She she's just out of practice after having one week. Yeah, off. you know, I mean, this is really this is really bad. I know. I know. I don't do this anymore. I know. When you go to the store, yes, and you see a sign that says 
two for three dollars. Yeah. Buy two? I mean, if it's something that you want. Of course, want and, and of, course. of course, yes. Especially ice cream. We always go for the two for se two ice cream for seven bucks. Two for seven bucks. Uh-huh. Well, um, it's only a bargain if you eat both. Well, ice cream is no problem. <laughs> Um, but if it's spinach or I or string beans, stuff like that, mm -hmm. stuff like that, there, mm -hmm. you don't have to buy the two items. If it's two for a particular price, you you don't have to buy the two. You can only buy one if if that's all you're going to eat. But you know they generally directly charge more for one rather than two. But if they're if they're listed. As a sale item, or even as a, you know, sometimes you walk past and they say ten for a dollar. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. You want to take a little break? Okay. I'm sorry. There. Uh, you have to buy the ten. Uh, you can uh, buy uh, one if you want, and uh, they'll charge you a dollar for it. Kermit is just having a good time over there. But, um, well, wait a minute. Wait. If it's ten for a dollar. Uh -huh. So you think you think I could get bought one page of ten cents? Right. You think so? Absolutely. Hmm. Well, it seems like ice cream, they always charge you more for one, so that's why they encourage well, for two. Well, they they do, but if, if something is listed as on sale, two for X number of dollars, yeah. unless there is a special store policy that you need to know about, mm -hmm. you don't have to buy the two. You can buy one. You don't have to buy four. If it's four for a dollar, you can buy one, and they'll charge you twenty-five cents. Ah. Okay. I think that's a I, that's that is good to know. You know, I used to wind up throwing some stuff out because I would say, okay, well, this is a really good price, and I would wind up. And if you throw stuff out, it's not a really good price. You uh know? Nope. Nope. You were just helping the store out, clearing their inventory. Yeah. So I sent you. Some Kate Smith Christmas music. Yep. You want me to go look for it? Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, let me turn the uh, computer up here and walk over here. And there he goes. We lose Walden temporarily when he moves somewhere else. But I sent him, as long as we're doing Kate Smith tonight with God Bless America, and that was such a wonderful rendition that she did. She was really Escape. a remarkable lady. Minimum she was updates. one of the few people who truly and social features. perfect pitch. It's not something that is common. We, we talk about it and people throw the term around, but it really does have special significance, and she was one of the few people Escape. who had perfect pitch. Attachments, list you. Deck the halls with boughs of holly, 
That's right, everybody. Next Friday night, we will have two little beavers on with us. Frank Brzee and Tommy Cook will be live. We'll be celebrating Tommy Cook's birthday, July 5th. Tommy will be turning 81, and here is a little bit of the story that Tommy Cook will tell us next Friday night. So let's just settle back and reminisce a bit. What do you say, huh? With a nostalgic nod toward the Atwater Ken, we now present Same Time, Same Station, a chronicle of broadcasting's first absent. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. Tonight, Tommy Cook remembers radio. Like a boat out of the blue. 
guess it all starts about 1939. Unbelievable. 33 years. Good old radio. I still feel it's the finest medium in show business. At least the nicest people that I ever worked with were in radio. The first show I ever did was a show for Arch Obler, whom I consider, and I think most people consider, the finest writer, producer, director in the history of radio. He became um, famous in the early 30s back in Chicago with the series Lights Out, a horror series. And then he came to California and Hollywood and started his procession of eloquent writings. And this was a series called um, Every Man's Theater. Obler had a had a stock company which consisted of uh, Mercedes McCambridge playing most of the women roles, Hans Conried, Elliot Lewis, who then became a producer for Desilu Productions, uh, played the majority of the male roles with Byron Kane, who works with Stan Freeberg all the time, is one of the all-time greats, Lou Merrill, who's now deceased, uh, and Gordon Jenkins, the marvelous uh, musician and uh, wrote uh, all the music for Obler and I eventually played all the kid roles. I was about eight years old, and uh, I guess I got the role because a couple of months prior to doing this show, they had an, a, an artist service at NBC, headed by the late May Regan, and my mom saw an article in a magazine about free auditions at NBC which was then at Hollywood and Vine. It's now the center of the Savings and Loan Association, <laughs> my old second home. Anyway, uh, my ma cut out the, uh, the uh, inscription in the magazine and sent it in for an audition. I made the audition, and May Regan remembered my voice as being very puerile and young, and so she called me in for this audition for Obler, and I got it only because I think I had the youngest-sounding voice. So I do the show, they've got a box for me to stand on because I'm so doggone small. And um, I remember my mother sitting up in the client's booth above the control room where the director and engineer were stationed and with tears streaming down her eyes and she knew I was confused and she rushed out and she gave a couple of dollars to the page boy, the NBC page boy, to go and confide and tell me what a cue was that when the director pointed his finger at you, it was time for you to talk. And so I was given those instructions, and boom, I went on the air, and, and that was my first show, the age of eight and a half, for the great Arch Obler. He called me in again for another audition to play the part of a German refugee boy, and evidently uh, accents came easy to me, and I put on some kind of German accent that I had heard, and I got the role. And from then on, Obler started using me almost every week. He would somehow write in a small part for me. And then he was going to go to Chicago to do a show starring a young fellow. He was actually going to do it with um, a very fine performer in Chicago by the name of Dickie Highland, a show called Problem Papa. And I previously appeared with Obler uh, on his shows, uh, one show in particular with the great Alan Nazimova, the Russian actress, and she had noticed me. And so... She told Arch one day, she said, why do you go to Chicago to do that show? You got this little kid, Cook, here. Why don't you take a chance on him? And so Obler did. And that was the first show I ever starred in for Arch Obler called Problem Papa. 
and the great Mercedes McCambridge played my mother, and Howard Duff, God bless him, my old tennis pal, played my father, and Gordon Jenkins, and of course. And happy birthday, Tommy Cook. He will be turning 81 on Tuesday, and we'll have him live next Friday. Celebrate his birthday. We would have done it last night, but Tommy is busy today doing two shows for Peggy Weber. He's doing a Western Shakespeare play that runs 90 minutes twice, and you have to sing. So I figured we... I figured I'd give Tommy a couple days rest, and we'll talk next Friday. And you're going to ask him for me? Yes. What are you going to ask him? What kind of chocolate he likes? No, but you're close. What does he eat and drink? What kind of vitamins does he, he take, takes? and what does he have for breakfast? <laughs> 81 years old, and he's doing two 90-minute shows in one day. And after get getting back from Seattle with me, and... Producing a, a, a TV special with me, and uh, we're going to have the phone lines open. That way people can talk to Tommy, too. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah. So next Friday night, everybody, uh, Tommy Cook and Frank Brzee will be together. Two little beavers on the same... Two little beavers. Yeah. yeah. 714-545-2071. Hope you enjoyed the Kate Smith uh, sing. She was a fixture in radio for... Oh, man, I think from 1931 to 1958, she had quite a run on radio. Television. That's right. She had a television show as well. She was a remarkable lady. Yep. And what a fabulous voice she had. There are a couple, anybody who wants Christmas Christmas music, got to answer a question. And Kate Smith, that particular medley, Kate Smith, is um, in that collection. And it's too bad there's not that many of the Kate Smith radio shows around. No. Considering she discovered so many people, for example, I think it was the Aldrich family had almost a year run on the show. She was she was the show that they broke into. Wow. Yeah. That and Abbott Costello and all those good uh-huh. people. You know, it, there's it, it's quite an interesting story to read about her professional life. She uh-huh. was doing second-rate, come behind the stars type. Uh, performances Correct. on stage. Yep, in, ba- in Baltimore, Maryland, I think, or somewhere. Yeah, some yeah. offbeat place. Mm-hmm. And what was so sad is that she was the butt of jokes for years. She had this m- magnificent talent, but she was the butt of jokes, and nobody took her seriously because she is, she was such a large woman. And she was a good athlete. She could she could exercise and things, but she was one of those boys. Not to burn the calories. She was very nimble at one time. Very nimble. And you know, she, she was a large woman, as yeah. many uh, really powerful singers are. And um, she was discovered by, tell Ted, me Collins' first name. T- Ted. Ted Collins. Was, was her manager. They mm-hmm. met. He said... I think, you, I, think you, I think you got something there. Yes. We're, and, and we're going to... Um, we'll produce a handshake agreement. And they produced the uh, Colin Kate company. I forget there was a certain name they called the company. Uh-huh. And she never married. Okay. Uh, he was married. But they remained very good business partners. And uh, he drove her career. And a very good one. It was a, it was a, a match. It was just a perfect 
marriage, non-marriage. They weren't married. They might as well have been because they were in such sync with each other. Yeah. But it was such a tragedy. It hurt my heart to read her early history about her beginnings on stage in second-rate places. You know, she raised more money in World War II than anybody else. I can believe that. Yeah, she was the number one uh, uh, bond sales person that uh-huh. made more money than any other entertainer going to shows, and people came to see her perform. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I wonder what there was about her in particular, what personality characteristics she had that appealed to people on such a huge scale. She was personable. She was fun. Mm-hmm. Well, also, she had a song that people gravitated to. Maybe they wanted her to sing that song in person. You're right. She had excellent taste in the music. Yep. She sang. Yep. Um, it, and, of course, she was a marvelous singer, but she wasn't the only really fine singer in that time period. No. But people just loved her, I think. And this is really an I think. Part of it was that she she looked like an average American. She was not a star. She wasn't dressed up. She, you know, she wasn't primped. Um, when I say star, she I'm was not Hollywood. She, she was not the pinup girl. She was not a Hollywood beauty. She no. was. She looked like your next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. She was fun to be around. She had a delightful personality, and I think people relate to that. Also, she was a very successful radio. Her, her shows, I think, were one hour long, and people gravitate to that show. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's hard for a music-oriented show to stay fresh for an entire hour and hold an audience for an entire hour. But you, but you think about those types of shows, her show, Rudy Valley show of the 30s, who were one hour long, they were variety shows. Mm-hmm. So even though people think of them as singers and things, they had sketches, they had uh, personalities, they introduced stars mm-hmm. to make it interesting for the people for one hour. Like Charlie McCarthy was not a one hour Charlie McCarthy show. Mm-hmm. They had an awful lot in between right. the, uh, the Charlie McCarthy routines. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, she is one of my very favorite people and became a more favorite people when I read a little bit about her background and how she started in show business and where she wound up. She really was quite a remarkable lady. And she sang God Bless America. You said the Philadelphia Flyers were. Uh The hockey team. The hockey team, yeah. And she was part owner of that, was she not? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I believe she was. I, I'll have to go do some homework on that. I don't she, write that down, anybody. I, I think she lived in, homework. I think she lived in Lake Placid, New York for a while. Uh-huh. And she was so sweet that um, we should probably get the – there's still a Kate Smith fan club today. Uh-huh. And Germans, who are still part of that, said that she used to invite the fan club member to come stay at her house. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In Lake Placid. And I think it's Richard Hayes. I think it's one of them. Uh, we can look, we can probably Google him up. He said you, he was able to record stories and things of Kate telling stories and just having the fans come over to stay at her house. That would be fun. Yeah. See what I can do about tracking uh-huh. that down. That, that would be great fun. Right. She really was quite a remarkable lady and, and had such a humble beginning and never lost sight of... You know, the, the real, real people 
you know? The people. Yeah, people, people. The people. I don't have a Walden brain teaser tonight. I'm looking at a, a blank spot. However, uh -oh. somebody just rescued you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for calling 714-545-2071. Hello there. Yeah, it's Kurt. Hello, Kurt. Hi, how are you? Okay. Um, and of course, Kate Smith was, I believe, involved with one of the big losses in radio, which was the Robert Block uh, scripts. Didn't she share her time with Robert Block and all of those, all of his uh, shows were, uh, all those stories were destroyed? Well, I know, I know there's like only four to six of her shows around, and I would not be surprised. Uh, th that at least is one of the rumors that I heard yeah. somewhere that 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 uh, that here is this very sweet lady, and of course you were talking about Psycho before and how much they paid for the for the novel. Yeah. But and of course Robert Block, although he, and he was a great writer, and um, talking about um, the shows that that they lost. Right. Uh, I was thinking about something this week, and I was I was noticing. I was listening to a few different things. The Lone Ranger Day when the town was renamed in Cheyenne or Cheyenne. Yeah, I think. Cheyenne, Wyoming, in 1948. Uh huh. And I was noticing how, and I was listening to some of uh, Fibber McGee and Molly from 1954. I was, and I was listening, of course, to some of the World War II coverage and some of the with Roosevelt, and I could not help but notice uh, how much more. God was mentioned on radio back in the 50s. Um, I mean, uh, in in 19 like in 1954 in the in the uh, and Molly shows, and they're talking about the March of Times, and they're talking about you know uh, uh, hilarious giving and spiritual giving and stuff like that. Yeah. And how much more? And of course, the Lone Ranger was mm -hmm. very definitely. Um, God-oriented, yep. and I, I was thinking, you know, how much we have lost, because now, um, you know, somebody gathering up the, the ammunition when they do the salutes at funerals or whatever, yep. and, and they, somebody was saying something about the peace of God be with you or whatever, and right. they said you can't even say that anymore. Well, thank you, classic to me, okay, I'm just a history buff that people know. NBC, when we hit the beach in Normandy, NBC for 40 straight hours during June 6th that morning, I think around 6th, on the hour, once an hour, had some member of the faith come and say a prayer for the nation. Yes. For 40 straight hours. Yes. Yes. And I That's mean, amazing. Can you, can you imagine, well, of course you heard about the flap with NBC recently mm -hmm. yeah. with the pledge and leaving yeah. out the under... Uh, one nation under God, indivisible. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, now that that I'm really noticing it, how much more often? I mean, I knew that that, of course, after Madeline Murray O'Hare and all mm -hmm. that business and and prayer in schools and all that kind of stuff. But we were so, we were so much a country that was so much closer to the beam in those days mm -hmm. in terms of of knowing what made our country great. And I think we have really, for political correctness, uh, and this is in the most, you know, in the worst way possible, that we have given up 
the high ground on this in order to not offend anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it is one of the, the things that, that we have done, which if America, you know, goes under as a national power, it's going to be because, you know, um, except for the few and except for the people that, that know the core values, we have given up God as, a, as, as being unnecessary. I think quite example, if you look at, if you read the Founding Fathers' writings and things, and how much uh, the religious belief played a role in their politics and what they wrote about and things like that. They right. Were, I mean, definite part. because of, I think because of Jefferson and stuff, and although actually, even though I don't think Jefferson was a, was a believer, but I really don't know, he, you know, espoused the belief that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, um, um most people don't know that Jefferson actually supported Congress uh, to fund churches. He thought it was important enough to build churches, and they actually set aside government money for the first 20 to 30 years to do that. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I, I just think that, and I said, I mean, really, like I said, in listening to the stuff, because, you know, um, I've been noticing a lot more, you know, since I've gotten actually more away from, from or, or you know more listening to religious programming mm -hmm. and and uh, radio and stuff like that and then listening to the OTR it's just really uh, it's really something yeah um, for those of you who may or may not be interested uh, with me uh, my next visit to the doctor will be on the 11th of July mm. and then I see the transplant doctor at the end of the month but Unless things change, uh, and and it, the change would be quite sudden. Uh, it's been six months since they put off the transplant, and they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to put it off, I guess, indefinitely because uh, they cannot get the uh, the diarrhea cleared up. Mm. I'm still on medication, and I'm still having it even with the medication. Mm. And so the the stem cells are waiting, and the stem cells are stored, but I can't. Do the transplant as long as um, as long as I'm having the diarrhea, and wow. so. Wow. And by the way, the uh, radio archives. Did you notice yesterday? Now has, um, I think, about ten of the uh, Pimergy and Molly collections available for uh, download. Right. So you go to the website. Uh, I think radioarchive.com. Uh, you can go ahead and download. They're like nineteen dollars a piece to download, and they're twenty nine dollars, I think, for what? the right. for the CDs. And it's interesting because um, I, I, like I said, I've you know, in listening to some of those commercials, um, and and the, those are very they're very funny shows. I mean, they're fifteen minutes, and but they're very. I mean, now they say, by the way. That that, or at least a source that I saw yesterday, mm -hmm. said that Fibber McGee and Molly went until 1959. But uh, do you know when? Because I think I know that they were part of what, maybe Radio Monitor, or yeah. at the end, or but because they, they weren't doing their own radio show, right? They would just do little sketches, maybe, or. Patricia, you want to step in here? Well, the 15-minute shows were very much the Fibber McGee and Molly. They went to that in 19. 53, I think. 1953, when they... 53, but... Or did they continue? Because I know that they were a part of Monitor. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but I think that they were just doing little sketches. I don't think they were doing whole shows at that point, and I don't think anybody has those either. We have 60 of them floating out there. Oh, um, are there? Yes. We, uh, the 15-minute show ran from 53 to 56, and then they became monitor, which was basically they did five three-minute segments on Saturday and five different ones on Sundays. And they did that all the way up to 1959, and NBC wanted to sign them to another three-year contract, and that's when they discovered Marion Jordan had cancer, and Jim Jordan realized he, you know, he yeah. just was yeah. just not going to sign the contract. Yeah. I think they were weary and just just worn down and oh. tired because for the end, even of the regular 15-minute shows before they switched over to monitor, you could tell that there was not the spark that used to be there. Right, right. And of course, uh, having an audience made a difference as well. Walden and I have talked about this at different times, how much of a difference an audience made. Oh, and of course. Because not having an audience dulled that show, and having an audience that they inserted very late in the Lumen Abner series wrecked that show. It, I say wrecked it. Uh, it, it really had a, a, a bad effect on the Love and Abner show. So one didn't do well without an audience, and the other one didn't do well with an audience. And I think part of it um, had to do with their backgrounds. Jim and Marion came from a vaudeville background, and Walden and I have talked about this at different times, that in vaudeville they depended on an audience reaction to know whether they were doing well or not. Oh, yes, and especially, especially at least in the beginning. Sure. No, when when Jim Jordan stopped his um, alliteration uh, monologues or or that little alliteration thing he did every week. Right. Well, it wasn't every week, but it was it it was good. But I mean, it took. I mean, it really takes an audience to to react to something like that. Yes. There were just things that they did that that don't work as well without a reaction no. and so many of their um so many of the routines that they did were like that mm-hmm. i think it's interesting that uh 1954 mp3 tried trying to move a lot of the show to 15 minutes yes i was noticing in the commercials right you have you have uh, frank sinatra and somebody else bob, doing... hope, bob hope had a daily morning show 15 minute uh, Bua was a 15-minute show over CBS. The Great Grocery went to a 15-minute format. Of course, Fern McGee and Molly was heard both in the daytime and at nighttime. Uh, One Man Family had all these shows, but they knew with the girls, they moved it back to a half hours. And uh, it was interesting how some shows, they tried it, and yet, then they move it back to the studio audience. But probably because, you Patricia pointing out, with Marion Health, they figured... It was too much for her to go back to an audience, probably. Yeah, yeah, but those, those, but the shows are still, they're still funny and they're still, you know. Um, oh yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know if you have most of the questions that you asked that are outstanding. I do not know, so <laughs> um, because uh, I heard that I heard you tell give those earlier, and I don't know the answer to any of those. Okay. Patricia, got any new ones? Any, what, what am I looking for here? Any new trivia questions? Radio or trivia, just whatever, I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, I got stuck. Okay, what's Dennis Day's real name? Oh, no, that's not fair. Oh, actually, I, I no, I actually, I don't know that okay, one. Okay, okay, okay. And by the way, I've been listening to the, to the, uh, the big shows. Yeah. 
and um, I mean, some of the some of the of the humor is a bit strained in that show, but she was um, she was quite a lady. You know what Tolua Bankhead's dad did? He was a senator. He was, and what position did he have in the government? Uh, well, I didn't know he, I didn't know that he had a position. Uh huh. In the thirties. Uh, uh, you mean like Secretary of State or? Uh, bigger than that. Like vice? No, I wouldn't be vice no, president. No, wasn't vice president, and what? And he was not president. Speaker of the House. Yes, he was Speaker of the House. When was that? Because I know Sam Rayburn was right. later. Well, Rayburn took over in '39, and her dad passed. Her dad had it up until his death in '38. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that he. Um, but the but the um, some of the uh, some of the Fred Allen stuff, and um, in fact, I just listened to the Edward G. Robinson, um, and of course, a lot of the stuff that they did, like. Uh, uh, after dinner, state, no, the, well, the, the Edward G. Robinson that I heard, mm-hmm. um, they did credit it to, uh, to William Irish, but of course they didn't, they kind of did the, the punchline of the story, but you wouldn't necessarily know what the rest of the story was if you didn't happen to have heard the suspense. Uh, although that was a, an interesting one. It was an interesting show because you know, you know who the staff, the chief writer was of the show. Uh, Goodman Ace, I think. That's correct. You're good for you, Kurt. And I was actually very surprised. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I think I told you that I was an English major. Right. And I have a BA in English, and so I'm always very interested in who did the writing and who, you know, because especially if it's a name that I know from other places, mm-hmm. and sometimes, you know, things like that are so much of a surprise just because... That's not where you would expect Goodman Ace to be. No. Even though he was very funny, and of course he was actually very funny even on NPR right. later. Right. But uh, anyway, uh, interesting, interesting show is is the big show. Are you ready? Yes. You want a horse? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, I'll try, but I, I <laughs> uh, horses are I, I don't. How many people have ever offered you a horse? That's right. You actually are the first. I'm the first. Okay. How about Joker? And you want to know who rode Joker, right? Or Who rode Joker, yes. Well, I really... I, 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 my, my humorous answer, which is the only one I've got, would be like Sam Spade, but I really don't know. No, I'm sorry. These are all cowboys. I, I prefaced it. Oh, that's good. <laughs> there, no, these are all all cowboy horses. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I should have given that. Or cowgirl. Yes, yes. Annie Oakley, perhaps? No, but that's a great guess. I couldn't find Annie Oakley's horse. I well, I, actually, I don't know whether, you know, whether Annie. she was a rider. I I mean, we think of her as a as a, a firearms person, but so you know. Yeah. Well, I found Annie Oakley, but I couldn't find her horse. I, right. Neither could they, because it was on a site that gave the the, the names of horses. Okay. Let's see here. Let me thought. Diablo. Who rode Diablo? 
You mean like Hopalong Cassidy or? Yeah, well, yeah, but it wasn't. But it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't Hopalong Cassidy. Diablo is Spanish for devil. Yes, I know. Um, I don't know. Spanish for devil. Yeah, I know, but it's, it's not clicking over, so. Diablo. Um, Spanish for devil. Let's go, kid. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. You took me out of my misery. I think the Cisco Kid and Pancho along along the way. I think those are the only Spanish cowboy characters we had in radio. Walden, is that true? I I'm thinking you're probably right because you gave you gave Pancho horse out earlier tonight and nobody answered that one yet. Well, and the weird thing is, and I do not know what story. But he was based on a character created by O. Henry. Correct. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what I, I, in looking through, and I have looked through, not specifically to answer this question, but I have looked through O. Henry and don't know what story they would have based that on. Well, so wasn't O. Henry basically specialized as short story, as a short story writer, right? In, in short stories with twist endings, yeah. So basically. He probably wrote a whole bunch of short stories. Well, probably, he did. Yeah, he did. But yeah. he, but he mostly wrote about. This is what. This is a surprise. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mostly wrote about New Yorkers, and he wrote mostly wrote about. You know, uh, of course, you know the the ransom of Red Chief is a famous. You know where they they try to ransom the kid, and and the kidnappers end up saying, "Please take this guy back. This kid back. He's." He's killing us. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the, I, I, the twist ending on that one. So I, I, remember, I remember in the 70s, Hyman Brown used to take old Henry's stories and dramatize them in the CBS Mystery Theater. Well, yeah, they would have to add a lot to them because, yeah. like I said, they were pretty short. Yeah. But he does have a number of collections, and um, I'm going to have to make it my business now that, <laughs> that, that we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to look through and see. Um, I'm going to have to read in text some O'Henry stories and see if I can find out, unless somebody happens to know, and maybe there's a place that knows this, what story, because I mean... I wonder if somebody has done our homework for us. You can I talk don't, for a minute and let me see if I can Google up and... Yeah, yeah, because, because like I said, he O'Henry was the kind of journalist that had to keep... You know, writing on um, deadlines, huh? On deadlines and on spec. Now, was O'Henry pretty much the same time as Mark Twain? Did he write pretty much in the 1800s? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, they were both late 1800s, but but O'Henry specifically specialized in the twist ending story. And I didn't realize this until Patricia pointed this out to me about a month ago that a lot of the, uh, in many cases, a lot of the books were really not booked, they were put out, spread out as uh, installments in newspapers and magazines and things like that. Right. Originally, there were a lot of, there were a lot of serials. Uh, well, yeah, um, it kind of depended. Mm -hmm. Most of that stuff was British. There wasn't, there wasn't as much American. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I guess you think about Dickens was a short story writer, right? Because all the Sherlock Holmes would appear in that kind of... Well, the, well, no, that's Doyle, and yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Doyle, I mean, yeah. Um, Dickens was one who threw over the transom and, yes, wrote these enormous novels right. in, in pieces 
that were published in magazines and newspapers. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe did the same with uh, his writings. Yes, and in fact, Edgar Allan Poe, except for one novel, which was called uh, The Narrative of A. Gordon Pym. Gordon Pym. Oh, wrote, that good or what? <laughs> wrote all short stories. Mm-hmm. Everything else he wrote was a short story. And, um, and he only made to, what, age 35, right? Um, he was very young. He was 40, I think. Okay. Um, he, he was young. Yeah. But I think, yeah, he, he, and that was too bad because apparently he died um, trying to, uh, trying to get extra, do extra votes for, for liquor um, mm-hmm. during an election. But yeah, see, Dickens, and the thing was, I mean, you know how everybody talks about Amos and Andy and, and how everything stopped. Well, that's the way it was when, Dick, when Dickens was writing for the serials because everybody was waiting for the newspapers to come out uh, for the, the next parts of these novels. And the people basically could not afford, and, you know, the, the, uh, and he, you know, uh, wanted to continue to write them as serials and wrote them up, like, you know, up to the deadlines and so, stuff like that. So was Shakespeare then, was it all plays with any of his stories? Yeah. Okay, all plays, nothing yeah, he, as an installment. Right. Okay. He he was. There were there were very few people that were really good at both, um, but they put out a lot. Um, now Thackeray, who wrote Vanity Fair, which I actually don't know whether Vanity Fair was published. Although I have a feeling it might have been published as a serial, and it was very long. And of course, somebody in the '80s tried to go back and redo that. On the radio as as a serial, and um, I think Orson Welles did it as a straight one hour. As a one hour yeah. thing, but 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 remember, we're looking at a six or seven hundred page book, uh-huh. and you know so many of the of these. I mean, it's like it, it's like NBC University Theater doing um, doing Moby Dick. You know, I mean, what what can you really do in an hour to uh, or doing Henry James? In, unless you're doing a Henry James short story, doing a Henry James novel that was 900 pages long in an hour. You know, you can kind of get people interested and, and say, well, gee, you know, if you like this, go back and, and check out the book, which the NBC University Theater actually did. They said, you know, we can't do justice to this novel, but if, you, if you're interested in what you've heard, you know, go back and read this novel. I can send you a 30-minute version radio show version of Moby Dick. I've heard. I <laughs> I have to laugh because, yes, I have heard. You have heard it. Yes. And but I listened to Moby Dick and I thought, something's missing here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed. Well, uh, yeah, uh, that's, really, that, anyway, that's really something. Um, would you like O. Henry's The Caballero's Way? Oh, okay. The Genesis of the Cisco Kid. Really? That's what it says. Well, I will have to see if I can find that story. Um, Gutenberg might even have it. I mean, unless it happens to be in one of his collections. But at least I know where to look. Well, give that one a try. And if that doesn't turn out right, I'll go looking. Oh, I think, I mean, that sounds, you know, that sounds like it very definitely, you know, could could be it. Like it might. Okay, are you going to send me on a mission again this week? 
Because um, I haven't even found your nightmare from Peter Lorre. Oh, actually, I did find about three of them. Um, Are you serious? Um, yeah. Wow. I found them, actually, well, I'll tell you. Um, you don't have to tell me. Well, no, I mean, this is is kind of, there's a, there's, there's a, uh, called, there's a, a guy called Rusk, R-U-S-C, Rusk.com. It's Are You Sitting Comfortably is what the, but he has radio shows for download. Mm-hmm. And for my money, you can't really download enough of them necessarily, but, but at least, but I did find uh, about three nightmare shows on that. Um, actually, um, if, if you can... Um, Depending on what you have, if you can get some some one man's family. Oh, I do have that. That would be good. Oh, I'd love to send that to you. I do have um, a bundle of them. Yeah, that would be that would be good. Uh, I would really uh, appreciate that. Okay, Walden, you just made smile because that's one of his favorite shows. Uh-huh. Well, I I love Carlton E. Morse writing because I think what's special about one man family is because it was character driven. Like you knew the oh, people. Oh, very definitely. Yeah, you knew the people. Yes, and I think that that's that's one of the things that was that really made it. And it, it, I mean, and that's one of the things that where he really stood out. And I think it's me. It was Carlton. I mean, I had lunch with him in '85, mm-hmm. and he told me well, his schedule. Everybody, he would get up at four in the morning, write a script by nine in the morning, go out, cast the show, direct the show, put put it together that night. And go to bed. He did that seven days a week for eighteen straight years. Wow. I mean, that's that's putting yourself on a schedule. He lived to be what ninety. Ninety. Uh, ninety-two. So I mean, you know, I gotta say that that as difficult as it probably was, you know, it probably kept him young. I in a lot of ways because he didn't. It was like his family. He he he, he was pointing at he was an older he was an older son. He was the he was the oldest of the of the families, and he lived on a on a you know milking ranch in Oregon. And he was on he was on his own a lot because he was doing farm choice and creating characters and things that he had. He said when we wrote for radio, it was like having his family. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's quite a you know. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you guys, uh, I, I heard a little bit of the stuff that went on last uh, Saturday, and okay. it, was, it was very interesting. Yep, it was definitely different. It was definitely different. And um, I'm glad you, you two are doing okay. We are. I wanted to tell you, yes. um, you were asking earlier about what you did as a kid for the 4th of July. Yes. And, um, of course, one of the things that my... When brother and I used to do is we used to get we we used to get uh, caps and cap grenades <laughs> and um, and we you know play with the uh, with the cap grenades. What is a cap grenade? It's a it's a it's a little plastic thing that you could buy for like three or four dollars, huh? and you'd put well you were supposed to put one cap in it one of those you know little pull the little uh, gunpowder cap off of the they used to come in. In rolls, and then they also came in like, uh, like, like sheets. And you'd put one cap in the, in the uh, cap grenade, and you'd twist it closed, and you'd drop it, and it would set the cap off. 
Ah, okay. So we used to do that, and of course, um, as a blind kid, of course, um, the um, fireworks were not all that exciting. But it is interesting that I did hold sparklers. I actually don't know why, but I did. Um, they have a good sound to them, too. Well, yeah, some, but, but they're, you know, I don't, um, but but my dad used to set off um, fireworks, the, you know, safe and sane ones that you could buy. And um, I think he was, was pretty good at it. I wonder when they actually stop allowing people to shoot off firecrackers and we went to fireworks. Well, we had... Firecrackers? Well, they had fire. They had fireworks... He was setting them off in the early 60s, mm-hmm. was setting off the fireworks. And For people who may or may not, there's supposed to be a safety factor. That's why right. we went to the fireworks. Right. Well, the firecrackers were fine as long as, but see, the, what the problem with the firecrackers was that people had to go bigger and better, and so they would get, the, they would get like M80s and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And so then if you made a mistake with an M80, you were much more likely to blow your hand off or, mm-hmm. or you know, put your eye out because you have something so that, which is so much more powerful than, than the firecracker, you know. And But we actually, um, I think a couple of times when, um, I think we also went a, f- a few times to, um, to watch the displays. I remember mm-hmm. going to Anaheim Stadium one time. And which actually was a lot more fun in the summer than it was in the winter, because in the winter we used to go on the, they used to go on that cruise, right? And okay. they would take me out on the on the cruise, and man, it was cold. So, you know, I mean, it was nice to be on the boat ride, but it was very cold. All right, I have a trivia trivia question for both of you. Yes. This weekend, how many professional Fireworks shows will there be in America? Oh, well, they cut way back this year. I know, but actually they, they've they been amazed that the fireworks uh, display business has been increasing the last several years, and this one's still an uptick year. That's be- amazing because there are so many places that for the first time have banned them because of the fire hazard. Right. All right, so we're, we're looking for locations. Lo- how many locations. different locations this weekend will we have professional fireworks displays in the country? Professional. Well, probably. A thousand? More. No, it would be more than that. 50, I would say 50,000. 14,000. Well, that's... I know that um, the Marina del Rey, as a city, yeah. has canceled their um, their fireworks mm-hmm. display because they couldn't afford they couldn't afford it. Right. But I would to me because they said a lot of people, especially when cities have decided to ban it, they have had private donation for people to keep they'll keep it together in parts of the country. That you know, actually, in a sense, you would think, depending on how much, you know, you would think that that if if they knew that they were going to do it. That people, you know, would pay maybe a small amount to mm-hmm. go in and and to watch the, uh, you know, to watch them do the um, uh, the the uh, fireworks. Yeah. So well, listen. Um, I'll keep you guys posted, and like and like I said, uh, keep me in your prayers because, yeah. like I said, unless something startlingly new happens and I suddenly get well.
Um, we are not looking at the transplant in the foreseeable future as of the end of this month. Sorry to hear when that. I go see the transplant doctor. So sorry to hear so that. So I've been waiting, like I said, well, I've been, I was diagnosed uh, about a year ago uh, this week and had my first chemo a year ago, which was not bad. But uh, they've been waiting to do the transplant since uh, end of November. And um, so, and of course, and the other thing is I really can't go anywhere most of the time. So I'm lucky I can go a few places occasionally, but, you know, it makes it difficult. So it gives me much more time to listen to OTR. (laughs) So, but keep up the good work and um, let's see. So you're doing your Christmas in July is going to be... Every Saturday in July, we do, we do something for Christmas, you bet. A whole month, Kurt. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> he gets an extra month of Christmas every... Actually, I'm blessed because I, I get five Saturdays this year. Yeah, we have five Saturdays. That's, you know, uh, and I really have to say that, that, from the, uh, that my favorite time of the year, really, except for the... For the understand you know the reason for the season and all that kind of stuff is is so nice and i think and I, as a matter of fact i just listened yesterday to that henry morgan uh, that christmas every day you know the show where the kids want christmas every day i haven't heard that I one i don't yet. think i've heard that one well if if you if you download and by the way there's also a song for patricia in one of the it's either in the second or third uh, big show uh-huh there's a song for patricia Ah. So you'll have to scan through. But if you go up to the internet and you look under Henry Morgan, it's in part one. It's in. It's the first couple in. One of the first couple of shows was the Christmas Every Day show. Hey, there's a good trivia question for you, Kurt. You know, One Man's Family. Yeah. You know what the name of the opening theme song is? No, no, I don't. It's Patricia. Oh, okay. It was named after Carlton E. Moise's wife. Wow. Well, that's. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm impressed. So, so go and look for that for those Henry Morgan and and check out the Big Show. Best place to get the Big Show probably if if you're just going to get the is to go to get the OTRR uh, collection. But it's in like the second or third uh, show. Okay. Well, I will I will take a peek. And I shall be listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Sounds I'm great. really happy you called. Thanks for calling, Kurt. And okay. Again, you, one man's family will be yours. Okay, thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye. Bye-bye. 714 This is Christmas in July, Christmas the 4th, and we are blessed to have you. Hello there. Hello there. Nolan, is that you? Yeah, I'm trying to turn this radio off. Oh, well, gosh, we've been having interesting people trying to turn the radio down all night. So that, join the fanboy. Instant replay. Yeah. Nolan, it's, it's either too early for you to be up or too late for you to be going to bed. They, yes. <laughs> I really don't know how to answer that. I'm all upside all upside down this week. Oh. Uh, Excuse me. Is there something special going on, or is it just you're upside down? No, it's just my quirky sleeping habits. Aha. Uh-huh. Welcome. Stop me a problem. Um, you might want to tell Mr. Uh, let's see, uh, Mr. Ballou. Uh uh-huh. he, he needs a flux capacitor for his time machine. Wow. Okay. Well, that, that 
was the one that was in Back to the Future. Remember, he yeah. had to have the flux capacitor. But if he's still stuck in Philadelphia, how are you going to know what to look for? If, if what? If he's still stuck in 1776, you think they're going to have one of those? I think he's... No, you go down to Radio Shack. Uh. <laughs> Ye old Radio Shack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. S-H-A-C-K-E. Uh -huh. <laughs> Very good. Well, hi there. How are you doing? I'm great. I've just been making some notes here. Well, before I got completely lost, a 60-second commercial is approximately 30 words. I thought that might come into play when you're trying to guess how many words are in a particular... So, in other words, if you're going to do a commercial, have a female read it because she'll get it more word put it by the minute? Yes, she was. She just doesn't know the horse's name. Well, I asked, no, I asked for a, a, the name of a horse, and someone said Annie Oakley. Oh, you're right. And I said, I, I found Annie Oakley, but I couldn't find the name of her horse. And I'm talking about the real Annie Oakley. Oh, okay. I wouldn't know but about that. But if you tell me the television Annie Oakley, I will love you to pieces. Uh, you want me to tell you that? Yeah. Okay, let's see. It's Target. And Gail <laughs> Davis was the actress that played on TV, played Annie Oakley. So now that's now a department, uh, a, a department store, huh? Well, Annie Oakley? No, Target. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, okay. the old Target, yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> so I, I just want to make sure that I get this correct. The television character Annie Oakley rode a horse named Target. That's right. Uh -huh. Hey, thanks. Oh, I like Davis was the actress. She was sometimes seen on the Andy Griffith Show. And who was it? Uh, I don't know the character's name she played. I, it's just... Wasn't on there, you know, every week, but... Oh, who was, who was the actress? I'm sorry, I, I miss... Yes. It. That's easy to do when you're listening to me. Her name is Gail Davis? Uh-huh. Okay. Gail Davis. Okay, well, I can live with that. Well, this is great. Target for Annie Oakley on TV. When I went to the uh, horsey sites and the cowboy sites, they were <laughs> still names of real cowboys, like William S. Hart and, and people like that. And... It, her, the name of her horse was absent. There were a couple they did not have names for, and Annie Oakley, the real Annie Oakley, was one of them. A target for an Annie Oakley horse sounds really neat to me. Yes, yes. One other thing, speaking of feminine, feminine names, uh -huh. did you get the name for uh, the who wrote Matt? Let me rephrase that. 
Who had Ruth as a uh, horse? Named Ruth. No, nobody got it. Was, was that Matt Dillon? No, you're darn uh, close. Was it Frontier Sissy? <laughs> no, it wasn't Frontier Sissy. Okay. I, it was a Gunsmoke character. You're in the right territory. Oh, is that right? Uh huh. Okay. Well, Festus had a had a mule, I believe. Well, and according to the list, what he rode was named Ruth. Well. I don't know why you could name the mule Ruth. I don't know what I was thinking. Uh, so it, it was Festus or Chester? That's, that's what my uh, information source said, and it looked like a, a pretty good site. But I mean, can you imagine naming something Ruth? No, no, not. I owe Ruth. Well, of course, you know, Festus was not exactly your most traditional character either, so. No, that's what made it so good, I guess. Made him so wonderful, yeah. So let me let me ask you this. All right, I've got a good one for you. We're into horsies? Uh-huh, horsing around. We're horsing around. This is good. That was very good. All right, we've got a single Western character who did radio and television, and he rode two different horses. Named One was named Calico, and one was named Eddie. Who rode those horses? Um, Cisco Kid? No. <laughs> He, he had two horses. One was Diablo, and I've forgotten what the other one was. He had Sarah, I think. What was the second horse? Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> no, it wasn't Sarah. Okay. Calico and Eddie. Hmm. I'll tell you the answer. I'm not going to hold this one. This one's too good. Can't, can't come up with that one. Gabby Hayes. Oh, Okay. Now, I would never have guessed Abby Hayes riding a horse named Calico and a horse named Eddie. I mean, they're very nice horse names. I just didn't know he had any horses with names. Speaking of um, Roy Rogers and Gabby Hayes, uh, Turner Classic Movies is doing Singing Cowboys every Friday night in July. Oh, no kidding. Last night they played four Roy Rogers in a row. Very good. And the quality of these prints is just excellent. I would advise anybody that wants to collect them to record those. You were right in your heaven on that one. Yes, I was. Who else is coming up besides uh, A bunch of them. Rex Allen and, uh, let's see, uh, uh, Johnny McBrown and Tex Ritter. Uh-huh. And uh, then there's one that kind of intrigues me. It says Cowboy Canteen or something like that, Western Canteen. Uh-huh. It, it says various, so I'm assuming that there's going to be a big... Uh, stage show with various singing cowboys on it, but I may be wrong. I'm just guessing what that might be. All right. Well, let me let me, let me me do this right here. It's mm -hmm. 8 o'clock on Friday night. Turner Classic Movies. All right. I've got, I've got a horse for you. Okay. I'm going to ask it backwards. I've been asking the horse's name and the cowboy. I'm going to give you the cowboy, and I want the horse's name. Okay. I'll try. Enough? Johnny Mac Brown, what did he ride? What was the name of his horse? Oh, gosh. I wasn't a Johnny Mac Brown fan, and I, I really don't know. I, I'm doing this to you because you mentioned Johnny Mac Brown, and I think you were the one who said, you don't know who Johnny Mac Brown is? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, <laughs> and I still don't. He's a very famous cowboy because he was on my famous cowboy list. I'm just wondering, though, when do you think the last... Seeing cowboy movie was. Oh. Uh, Rex Allen was the last one. 
show you that would be about up to the late 50s? When do you think it, when did it ha stop? stop? But, as a matter of fact, I concluded that in a note to somebody the other day, hmm. that the, the serials ended about the same time as the golden age of radio. Oh, wow. Okay. Both, both affected by television. The Saturday morning became, you know, you had yeah. King of the Rocket Man and yeah. Lone Ranger and, and uh, just four or five good shows that just uh, squeezed out the Saturday morning matinee. Hmm. Which is a shame. It really is. It really is. There's such a simplicity about those serials and about all of the entertainment from that era that kids will never have an opportunity to taste. It's just... Incidentally, in your packet, on the way to you with the postage paid, <laughs> is a, a documentary on the early serials. Oh, neat! And, and then another one on the Republic Picture Story. Oh. One, one is, uh, that one's almost two hours, and the other one is about... 55 minutes. Wow. You'll know everything you want to know by the time you watch those. I'm going to be such an expert on stuff. You keep me so informed with these goodies. I, I mean, this is great stuff that you send. Good. I'm what glad is, you like it. You notice I put some extra three-cent stamps on the on the envelope? Yeah, they're, they're just pristine. Yeah, well, you know, they're pristiner than the other ones. But I put the three-cent stamps there so uh, because the postage went up for second ounces. Ah, uh, you didn't want to draw attention. <clears throat> exactly, and I wanted to make sure people understood that I oh. knew that I had to put extra three-cent stamps on there. Okay. <laughs> I did. Fair enough. So, is that, is that, that going to be your alibi when you when you guys go to court? I really knew the law, that's why I put the extra stamps on. Yeah, well, uh, uh, I still think my idea of telling people that we're recycling an envelope and being good citizens, and they just happen to have stamps on them. Yeah, think of the that should work. Saving. That'll work. That'll work. Did you say we're fading? Saving paper. Oh, I know. We're, we're being good citizens by recycling. Sure. I mean, this is bubble stuff, so, you know, that's that's extra credit in the environment that, that to uh, recycle bubble stuff. Sure. I think we're doing a good job. Excellent. Excellent. I wish you'd get an award. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. Walton and I were talking last night, and we realized how how much the post office is subsidizing Yesterday USA. Well, it should. They, you know, uh, we, we get the... Get any other revenue other than donations, so... Yeah, that's it, it's really true. And um, Kurt... Well, Walton and uh, Frank Brzee get a little check every once in a while, but... <laughs> yeah, I know. The rest of us work pretty hard for hours. It's, um... They have a lot of royalties, you're right. You're right. You well, reminded we, me of an old corny we, joke. Do you know the, the difference between uh, playing post office and playing, uh, oh, what's the, <laughs> I'm going to mess this up. Uh, playing post oh, office playing, and, and spin the bottle? Pony Express and playing post office. I have no idea. Between I'm, Pony Express and post office. I'm playing, not, playing post office, the game post office, or the game Pony Express. I'm not going to touch that with a fork. <laughs> The Pony Express is a little more horsing around. Oh. No kidding. Oh, good. I like that one. Oh. This is good. <laughs> that was very good, Nolan. <laughs> Thank you. That's in the fourth grade, I think. Oh, well, I missed it. I, you know, I mean, um, I, I had an unusual education. <laughs> we weren't allowed to say things like that. Yeah, yeah, I guess that was a little... During the Pony Express days, didn't they didn't they deliver the mail on about like a six day route or something? 
Oh, it's just a remarkable cross-country thing. Mm -hmm. And they had stations all along the way, and they just changed horses and kept going, and they relayed it. Oh, gosh. So, no, I don't know. What real heroes. Coast to coast, Nolan, how long did it take Pony Express? Uh, let's see. I used to meet the horse in Dalton, Georgia. <laughs> And you could get it down to Atlanta in less than a day. Uh -huh. <laughs> but uh, that's all I remember. Now, and I don't know how, how many horses it would take to get the mail across the country. All right, somebody's got to do that for homework. I'm, I'm off the homework route. Well, somebody listening will probably already know that. Yeah, well. That's such smart people. Okay, you keep talking. I'll go look. <laughs> <laughs> See if I care. Okay, tell me about celebrating 4th of July when you were a kid, or in, when in, in, as an adult, whatever you did that twirled sure. urban. Very little. Uh, if they, we depended on my father to recognize the holiday, we might as well forget it because he would be going out with his buddies Jim Beam and mm -hmm. uh -huh. Walker and those guys. Right. And uh, so... The, I don't remember much about Fourth of July holiday. What about Fourth of July for a radio station? Did you guys have special commercials or special stunts you might pull? Uh, yes, uh, AFN particularly. Mm -hmm. You know, you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, what that would be like, and did some original things and some uh, the uh, oh the the Stan Freeberg Fourth of July uh, United States of America. Right. Some of those, mm -hmm. much, much like you would do here on this station. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, it was, um, yeah, one, it would be observed more than Memorial Day or Labor Day, probably, mm -hmm. <clears throat> from a programming standpoint. Huh? Did you guys ever cover a parade on radio? No, I can't think of anything duller. <laughs> <laughs> well. You know, unless we were in the parade, maybe. I, but, I guess so. Uh, Paint drying on the radio would be about as exciting. <laughs> well, here comes another float. Boy, that's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Home, we're really missing something. All righty. Waiting for the whiskers to grow here. <laughs> um, the service, Pony Express, the service officially opened on April 3rd, 1860, when riders left simultaneously from St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. The first westbound trip from St. Joe to Sacramento was nine days and 23 hours. The eastbound from California to St. Joe was 11 days and 12 hours. Hmm. How about that? Well, probably had to have the win against them. California? Yeah, part of that's downhill, too. Yeah, yeah, probably well, right. When you just dragged its hoofs. <laughs> Okay, it says eventually the Pony Express had more than 100 stations, 80 riders, and between 400 and 500 horses. Wow. Now, here's something that just blew me away. How long did the Pony Express service last? What was, what was the life of the Pony Express? I would say. Well, we, we had a train by 1869, you know, the Continental Train, so I'm thinking yeah. three years, five years. That'd be my guess, three years maybe, Patricia. Very good. Yes. You, you think, you said you're going along with uh, with uh, Walden on that? I'll say uh, five and Walden says eight. Mm -hmm. Nineteen months. Wow. <laughs> 
Isn't that incredible? Well, I think probably because your rump got a little sore. No, it's oh. when the completion of the Pacific Telegraph Line ended the need for rapid, uh, they could just send everything by telegraph. Oh, the telegraph, okay. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I thought the Pony Express, I would have guessed up to 10 years. I did. I would, too. Now that I think about it, I was copying off of Walden's page there. But yeah, you know, you're thinking logically here. 1860 through October 24th, 1861. Plus, they could sort the mail uh, as well on the on the railroad. Yeah. In the car. Then I'm wondering, I wonder back in the 1700s, how long did it take somebody letter to leave, you know, you know, one of the 13 colonies to go down? It probably took months. I don't think so. Would it, was it well organized? I don't know. Uh, That's what I'm wondering. If it was, was it that organized? I don't know. I don't know. I could walk from from Philadelphia to Virginia in less than three months. I mean, that's just... And, and, and deliver mail? Well, I don't know about delivering mail. Oh, okay. You know, when, you, when you're talking about traveling distance and it would go by horse from station to station, I think it would take three months. In the wintertime, though, it would be weather-dependent, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's when the 13 colonies. Well, about your then, Christmas in July. Yeah, true. Better mail them in July to get them there by Christmas. <laughs> that's when you mail your Christmas cards. Right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, Walden, you've got your homework cut out for you. You have to find out how long it took mail and commute. You know, it really wasn't that bad, though, because when they, they sent information to the Continental Congresses. Yeah. They, I, you know, there, there was really a rapid transit. But some, sometimes they remember there were, personal, there were personal people that they would send um, personal messengers that would, they would huh? carry a letter or something. That's right. You had to be kind of rich to be able to do that. Well, I think the military would have done that, like Washington would have sent somebody with, with a letter. Huh? Sure, they would have dispatched and it, take, it didn't take very long at all. There's a lot of turnover because they shot the messenger. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's probably where the expression came from. I bet it did. Yeah, yeah. When, when Cornwallis surrendered, it was cool, but not on the British side. <laughs> the one who delivered that message on the British side got shot. It was over. It was all over and done with. Okay, I have, I have a television horse for you. Okay. Chuck Connors, the rifleman. Oh. You know, I worked every night while that show was on. I never saw it. Oh, well, all right. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. Um, who rode Joker? Um. Why? Well, Alan Lane. Oh, who's Alan Lane? Alan Rocky Lane. Oh dear me. Anybody that doesn't know Johnny Mac Brown? Lane. Oh, I know him. I know him. Yeah. No, that wasn't his horse. I don't know. That. I don't know. That was the best guess I have. All right. Well, I've I've got Rocky Lane on here uh, on my list as well. Um, no, Joker did not belong to Rocky Lane. Somebody out there knows Fred or somebody they'll call. Everybody knows Joker, <laughs> except you. That's right. I thought it was a Batman character. Oh, Nolan! I'm gonna mark. I'm gonna knock that one off the list. And I'm just gonna mark it in red. I think you just. I think Patricia didn't catch that. I think you're right. It was Batman. Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Batman's faithful horse. Uh -huh. Faithful horse Joker. Oh, got it. Oh, gee. 
Oh, you know, Bucky Beaver and Little Beaver. I'm still living that one down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was very good. Joker was Andy Devine or Jingles. It was Jingles. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, all right. Andy I'm Devine gonna... was a regular on the Jack Benny show. Hey, what? Andy Devine was a regular on the Jack Benny show. Was. And, and what did Jack Benny call him? He had a nickname for him. Oh. It wasn't Jingles. No, it wasn't Jingles. Don't know. When he said hello, he addressed him by a title. I should say a title. Andy said hello, bud, didn't he, or something like that, Ella? Uh-huh. Buck. Yeah, Buck. Buck, Buck. Buck, yeah, Buck. Buck. Benny Rice again. Rice again, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I'm, uh, got me there again. Oh, boy, I'm doing really well. I have to put that one on my trivia list. He called him mayor. Because he was the honorary mayor of, was it Sacramento? I think it was Encino. Encino. It was Encino. You're absolutely right. He Mm -hmm. was the honorary mayor right up until he died of Encino. And Jack always referred to him as mayor. Andy Devine would walk in and he'd say, hiya, Buck. And Jack would say hi to the mayor. You know, that that is a character voice that he does, and he he didn't talk that way all the time. Yeah, he did. He had um, he had an injury when he was a kid. I know, but he exaggerates it on the radio. Yeah. If, if you've ever heard him in an interview or something, it, it comes back. It settles down pretty well. I mean, it's a little higher pitch than you'd think it should yeah. be. Yeah, and it, it's kind of raspy. Uh, exactly, but uh, it's not as bad as, as the no, character, when, especially when he gets excited. He did make a living out of that one. He it, did very well with that. Well, what have you got on your list? You said you you've got some goodies on your list. You were making notes. Uh, no, I, I spent them all. I was talking earlier about things that were on the list. Uh, and let's see if I have anything else outstanding. I've done so well so far. <laughs> uh, no, that's all I had. I had Matt Dillon and, and Oakley and uh, talking about the big show. Uh-huh. Uh, to me, that's very kind of hard to listen to. I don't. I think that, that must have been very popular in its day, but it's so dated now. Well, you know, Walden talked about that a couple of times as a last-ditch effort to hold on to radio and hold on to the position. It was an hour-long show. 90 minutes. It was 90. 90 minutes. Basically, what they were trying to do, uh, if you look at the books, the time where they ran that show, they were trying to go against Jack Benny, I think Amos and Andy, and another famous comedy show. And it was was third-ditch effort, NBC, to try to hold that audience. Uh-huh. So they try to stack their personalities and everything and try to really knock out the Jack Benny show. Yeah. And it just failed. I've listened to quite a few of them, and I like them, but because they're so long, you can't... Mm, that's, that's right. That's part of, mm-hmm. yeah, part of the problem. They're, they're like ultra-sweet chocolate cake, I guess. Mm-hmm. You, you can't eat the whole thing. You have to spread it out. Well, you might have to spread it out. I don't have to <laughs> spread it out. That was a bad analogy to use. So... Do I have anything to put in your envelope when it arrives here? Uh, let me tell you how much I'm enjoying Monitor. Oh, you like it? What I do, and uh, I'm probably not unique in this, but I have a little two-watt radio station in a closet, and I have a player in there. Uh-huh. And I'll plug something like that in on a weekday or weekend when I'm doing honeydews and around the house mm-hmm. and, and, and have a transistor radio with me. And I can listen and work any room in the house. And I've got Yesterday USA on it. Did I, is everything okay? Can you hear me? You bet. That's pretty nice. 
<laughs> yeah, I said how cool, but I, I guess I got lost in there. So the monitor is making you smile. For anybody out there listening, I've got monitor shows as well. So I'm glad you're enjoying them. What else did I send? Very much so. I'd almost forgotten how good they were. We did a, a show in Europe called Weekend World, which was our version of Monitor. And uh, it, they actually would use some of those features from Monitor that were sent over. The oh. others were a little dated. You have to remember this is before satellite. Sure. I think Frank even sent special features to that. They would ask him to go interview somebody in Hollywood, and he would do special interviews just for Weekend World. Very good, yeah. I wondered how Frank got that gig of doing the announcing on the Lux Radio Theater version, the Army's oh. version of Lux. Oh, that that one? Yeah. Uh, well, Frank had access to the master recordings, and I think he just picked the idea to L.A. and gave it blessing, and then somehow he had a hand on the soundtrack, you know, the Lux uh. theme. And then, then he would go ahead and have uh, John Milton Kennedy do a whole fresh opening for him, the original announcer of Lux, and then he would go ahead and write that and produce that himself. So that's how he got a hold of that. Very good. Yeah. Frank, it's amazing how, what for for a guy who creates and thinks of entrepreneur way, he, he did okay. He made a lot of different interesting uh, discoveries. He did, even did five-minute golden days of radio shows, five-minute comedy hour shows. Uh-huh. Most people don't know that Frank owned a, a radio station that played comedy 24 hours a day. Really? Yeah. So he he tried a lot of different formats. He owned Santa Catalina, didn't he? Yeah, he owned that. At age 19, can you imagine owning a radio station at age 19 on some island? No. No, uh, no. I was still stuttering on the radio. <laughs> Leadership or yeah. ownership was not in my future. That. <laughs> It was a great way to ask a girl out for a date because, you know, he was, he was 19, uh, cowering on the beach, and he saw some good-looking gal on the beach that day. He invited her to come in to read, to read liner notes on his, rec- on his disc jockey show, so it was a way for him to ask a girl out. So I guess he went ahead and bought a radio station. rascal. Yeah, in order to do that. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? It's like fishing bait. Uh, he went, except he wasn't fishing in the water, no. he was fishing in the sand. Yeah. <laughs> and he would call, I have a female perspective on this, guys. And, and, and he would call it the mermaid. You know, he he would name these girls mermaids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think I had a friend that convinced uh, girls that an uh, engineer with a first-class license could perform a marriage. And they would be married for the weekend. Uh-huh. The honeymoon bed was... <laughs> oh, well, all right. We could do this. That's really interesting. Oh, that rascal. I didn't know that. And if you ever... Don't tell him I said this, but if you have lunch with him, you'll notice that if he gets a check, he pays it in cash. Oh. And leave a lot of trails. Happy uh-huh. trails. Uh-huh. Uh, nobody's going to find him. Uh-huh. Just the intercom on pass out alone is probably enough to... That's right, and that's... Cover my needs. Well, uh, you, know, Frank, I, you know how many boy games Frank have sold? Uh, over a million, I think. In fact, it says on the box. Yeah. Patricia, you have any idea how many boy games Frank have sold? 
for the audience, this means to pass out the new web dating game seeks the creative autos. Okay, well, I, I was going to ask you how how many of, were you asking me? Total. Is, Total number of board games. Uh, but, but you're talking about sales volume as opposed to the number of board games he invented. The number, uh, I'm just talking about sales volume. Sales yeah. volume. All, all put together. Uh-huh. Ten guess, million. And yes, yeah, six. Six million. Pretty impressive. Yeah. That is. And you know, he got at least a penny a, a, a game or so, huh? Oh, he got more than that. I, I would say so. He owns it all. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, oh, wow. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. No. This is good. Yeah. He's, he's just smart. He's just a very smart man. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, who else would buy a radio station or they have to go out on a date? That's pretty pretty good at age 19. It is, yeah. And then, Utilize it to get dates. <laughs> Matter of priorities here. Yeah. Only th the only thing I can. Well, I mean, it was a handy vehicle. Yeah. What? I'm sorry. What? It was a handy vehicle for finding dates. Oh yes. Uh huh. Yes. Very creative. You radio guys, I'm telling you. What? What can I tell you? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody ever looks like their voice. Just remember that. Yeah, well, that's it. you know what? You do. Where did you see me? Well, you sent uh, a whole file of information when we were going to, uh, before we did an interview with you on the air and before you put together a whole bunch of stuff for us. I think it was for Christmas. Oh, that's right. Okay. You sent a whole package, and I, I saw pictures of you over the years, and I thought, you know, you're the first person I can recall who looked like you were supposed to look. <laughs> well, I hope that's a compliment. Was, I mean, it was a good guy. That's a terrible thing to just drop. <laughs> you, you kind of left it out there like it, it was, a guy with a voice like that ought to look better than he does. It, it was good. I mean, you know, I've, I've got this image in my head, and everybody has an image uh, based on a voice, but it, it was... You matched my image, and it was a very good image. I mean, I, it was huh. complimentary, and you matched it. Well, how about that? Yeah, you did. That. Especially a fellow at my age. I probably didn't have a current picture in there, but... <laughs> so, hold that image, you've got to be fine. Oh, well, it was good. Hey, no, who would pay... You Would that be money out of you guys' pockets when people would ask for a picture from a dick jockey? Did the radio station ever give you all expense money for that, or would I strictly assume that you guys would have to send out your own, only, own uh, pictures? The only thing... I have pictures to send out. I was going to say, no, they, they would pay for it. But they, I'm thinking in terms of what I had. It was mm -hmm. a, a poster, I remember, for a show I did called Two in Review, where mm -hmm. we played two brand-new albums, played selections from it. And that went in record stores around, and it, it was a picture, but... Uh, I never reached the that plateau of autographs and pictures. Mm -hmm. uh, even though Miami was a, one of the biggest markets in Florida, it still wasn't that popular. I think back in the uh, 50s and 60s, uh, disc jockeys were personalities more so, and, and yeah. really gave them out. Yeah. To answer your question, I would think the station would pay for them. But station, you have any idea how many how many letters you might have gotten a week in the mail? No. Um, he got the hot ones, though. I know, but no, you, it you, is. you think I, you, 
you think it'd be right, you think it'd be around five to ten letters maybe if would that be a good week you think or what would be, the... be yeah that would be a, that probably would be a good week uh-huh if, if you weren't covered up with mail telephone calls were easier yeah and we did take them we take the calls uh you know when you got a record on right uh-huh but it's uh i keep talking like i was in the uh, stone age but the guys today that have the computer screens in front of them, and they can punch a button and, and go away for four or five, uh, well, I sort of say four or five minutes, they go away 30 minutes if they need to. Mm-hmm. And it'll, it'll all play itself. Yeah. We, we were chained there with those two and a half minute songs and then those 45s, you know, that were, <laughs> when they first came out, the record companies thought that radio stations wouldn't play them if they were over two and a half minutes. Somebody got that started and... Uh, and that all came crashing down when El Paso in 1960 runs four and a half minutes, maybe 440. It seemed longer. And it, it uh, got in the top ten, yeah. maybe even as number one. And that, then they realized that they could, uh, instead of doing one commercial between the records, they do two and gain time that way. Uh, so were you guys ever allowed to go ahead and just stick in an LP? And just say this is the LP hour and then that way you could go do your thing? Maybe on the overnight they would do that, uh-huh. uh, and uh, we called the Marty Robbins record our relief record. <laughs> Put that on it, and you could go wash uh-huh. your car. You know, uh-huh. indeed, <laughs> that was the the blessed one. It seems like an eternity on radio. It is. Well, I, now, how often then? I remember there were, in the, around 1976 there was a a great trucking song called "The White Knight." I forget the guy who sang it. it was, you know, it was basically a guy doing car lingo, you know, truck driver's lingo. Uh-huh. And there were two versions, one that the public could buy, which was shorter, and one that the disc jockey said, which was a longer version. With You're that, talking about Convoy, are you? Uh, I know Convoy with that one, but also the White Knight it was another one that did the same thing. But I think Convoy also had it, too. 76, what, uh, um, was, there, was that common to have two different versions of the same song, one that only given to Dick Jockeys and one that released to the public? Yes, uh, m- many times, uh, particularly if it was uh, needed to be shortened for time, mm-hmm. uh, the, the one you'd buy would be longer. Mm. The um, I, I can't think of any offhand. Uh, uh-huh. the, uh, oh, Big John, remember that song? Yeah. They had they had an alternate ending on that song, which they had a radio ending and a and an ending that you could buy. Which uh, at the bottom of this pit lies a good. Uh, how did he say? Lies a yeah. Uh, oh, right. a, a great great man. Right. Or like that. Right. And then on the one you bought, it, the, at the bottom of this mine lies a hell of a man. Right. Big John. Right. Big John. <clears throat> I got Walden's White Knight in front of me. Oh, you do? Yes. Down 75 or 85 or I-20 t'other way. Turn your squelch to the right, and in the night, you'll hear some good buddies say, breaker, breaker, got a picture taker, all smokies at 43. That's the one? That's the one. I bet that was a West Coast hit. It must have been. It was just played. It's been on forever. It played forever and ever and ever. And the guy would do it. 18 million miles per hour. Uh-huh. This thing, I, it, it's easily, now this is standard print on the internet, mm-hmm. an internet page, and it's written in verse form. So that's one page, two page, three page, four page. It's four pages long. <laughs> that's a lot of singing, man. 
it was it was done in the Phil Harris style. The guy didn't sing it; he would just read it out like that. Ah, okay. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh huh. For you mentioned Marty Robbins earlier, and I want to make sure people know that Marty Robbins had—I think he probably had the longest songs in traditional music history. El Paso. It, El Paso went for at least six minutes, and he had—he had a couple of others that were very long. He had a great career. If you think about the songs he had, White Pink Coat and White Carnation was a great hit for him. Singing the blues. What did he do in his in his off time? That's a good trivia question. Marty Robbins? Yes. R- racing at stock cars. That's right. He was a stock car racer. Ah, okay. Yeah. He would time it to get through the last race because he had to be on the Grand Ole Opry. And he would run at the track in Nashville. And if he was the slightest bit off, he would miss his introduction. <laughs> and uh, go flying in and take care of that. Well, you talk about cutting edge, huh? What's the shortest record to get in the top 40? Shortest record in the Mm. top 40. Mm. Oh, gosh, and I even knew this. Uh, It was one minute. Oh, it was a goofy one, too, wasn't it? It was a one-word title. I don't know. I cannot remember. It was called Stay by Maurice Williams and the Charms. Mm. That one was shorty? Shortest record, huh? Okay. About a minute, about a minute forty. You, you can always bail out with that and get in trouble if you miss time the hour and you're about to go on the network news. Yeah. Perhaps stay and you and time out. What what what, 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 the, what would the rule of thumb? You just get faded out with that normal rule of thumb. You 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 would get faded the song out in order to meet the top hey, of the hour. You wouldn't want to do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about your telephone calls. You'd get uh-huh. them in. But normally you do. We would. It was called back timing, and you would start an instrumental. At, say this instrumental was two and a half minutes long. You start the instrumental at two and a half minutes before the top of the hour. Uh-huh. But but you don't put it on the air until the other song ends, and then you fade it up. Got and it. It would, you know, fill out the hour. Uh huh. That was one of the tricks. It's called play, starting it in the mud. Which you didn't hear. So you had two turntables, and you must have had two pots, right, in order to do that. Uh, yeah. Got it. But there's a good question for Patricia. No, it isn't. Why are the <laughs> why are the volume controls called pots? As oh, you know, oh, see, you know, you guys are. I just read this the other day. I don't remember. You did hear it the other day, though. Did I read it somewhere? I was looking at radio sites. And, and communications and broadcast sites, and I came across it, and I can't remember. Tell me, tell me, tell me. It's short for, uh, uh, Walden, you know? I do not. It's uh, short for potentiometer. Huh. Yeah, that's the ticket. Uh, volume control. That's the ticket. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, see, what they call it when I hang around those kinds of sites, I, my head gets cluttered, and I haven't gone vacuuming out some of the extraneous stuff, so I couldn't recall that one immediately. Just a little more trivia, a little more. Yeah. Nothing to add to your... Yeah, that's a good one. I have... What do I have? I've got something. Grand Old Opry. Do you like Grand Old Opry? Uh, yes. I have some Grand Old Opry that I just found. The old ones are really fun. Well, I don't know how old they are. Um, and I don't have them in front of me, and I can't read them off, but... Um, well, you have any with red, fo- the, the, huh? 
went fully with the host, so those would be the old ones. I, I wouldn't know that unless I actually listened to these, and I, I don't recall having seen anything like Maybelle Carter or any, anyone like that. So they're a little bit more modern, but what I have, when your envelope arrives, it will have Grand Ole Opry in the return. Very good. Yeah. Who is Red Foley's son-in-law? Son-in-law. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, they're still married. What? He he and his and his wife are still married after all these years. There you go. Because mm-hmm. he drank a lot of milk. That's true. <laughs> and he wears white shoes, right? That's it. Oh no, kidding, Pat Boone. Yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Everybody knows white shoes. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Well, Nolan, are you going to do the captain for us this month for Christmas, or are you going to wait until Christmas, Christmas? Do the what? Um, <laughs> Thurman and the captain. Sent you a package, did you say? No, 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 Thurman. Are you? Would you? Are oh. you doing a Thurman for us this month, or are you waiting until Christmas for us? I, either way, Christmas would probably. <laughs> well, I'm trying to make more time for myself. I'm terrible with deadlines, but. Well, that's okay. Uh, Christmas, Christmas would be great. I just don't want to miss an opportunity to hear it. Uh. Okay, if if I get it sooner, uh, I'll uh, we can do it for this month. But well, that's okay. We'll put you on the Christmas Christmas list. Definitely, Christmas Christmas. Christmas Christmas. Excuse there. That'll be that'll be fun. And I think I talked about getting the producer to come on with you. Yes, yes. So Christmas Christmas will be good. You're just not allowed to ask him personal questions about what kind of soldier I was. <laughs> oh no! Listen now. All right. In the in the true spirit of journalism, uh, yeah. Did you ever allow anyone to dictate what would be included in an interview? Uh, I did with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I made some suggestions. Or you told me you oh you know that that uh, those questions showed up about two weeks ago on my computer. Remember how we were trying to send them. Yes. An email, and I, I, my computer was so fouled up, yes. I couldn't read attachments. They've... That thing surfaced. Are you serious? Yeah, part of it got here. Well, you know, I I have asked this at different times. What would happen if every communication, electronic communication, that got lost in cyberspace downloaded at the same time around the world? Oh. It would shut everything down. Disaster. I mean, think about it. Wouldn't that make a great science fiction dealie? Yeah, that it would. But you know that everything that for a story. everything that was lost in cyberspace was being held by aliens, and they let them loose at the same time and shut us down internationally. Nobody could communicate with anyone. What a great story! They're doing that in Orlando right now. There's some people <laughs> protesting that. What? There, there was a group that uh, would want to feed the homeless every weekend and. You're limited to a permit to oh. perform anything in the park uh-huh. one one time a month. And some group is protesting that, and they're shutting down web, websites all around the city. Whoa. With with previous warning, too, that, you know, they'll tell you when it's going to be the Chamber of Commerce. or So the, that sort of stuff goes on. You do it on a grand scale, it could be a mess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not even talking about hackers. I'm, I'm you know, just something that... Cuts loose.
us sometime or another has said, gee, I never got it. Would you resend it? Yeah, right. I was doing that all day with you. Yeah. Not again, not again. That's right. Resend it, resend it. Now, if every one of the communications that didn't arrive the first time that had to be resent all of a sudden showed up in everybody's computers oh. on the destination, wouldn't that be fun? The emails in your computer, to me, that were it's amazing how many are in there. Uh-huh. They did go through properly. I mean, to go back and look, things you didn't delete. Yep. It's a, a pile of communications, even just as an individual. Very full tummy. You were talking about uh, interviews and where they changed. We used to get these interviews with the cue sheet and the uh, star answering the questions on a record. Uh-huh. And it would simulate that you, that you had that person in the studio. Right. But what we, we would frequently do is change the question. <laughs> But the answer had to stay the same. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my gosh. And that was usually for off-air. Yes. Just horsing, horsing around again. Uh-huh. It was funny how you could do that. And he could tell you, uh, well, do you ever have a drink? Oh, about three times a day I enjoy going out. Da-da-da-da-da. Sure. But, but if you back up and just change the question, it can, it's hilarious. And if it's... Personal, if you were just doing it as uh, an off-air, intimate circle, having fun with each other, boy, you could really come up with some honeys. <laughs> You're right. You did, didn't you? You are right. <laughs> we had a, a uh, I think I told you an outtake reel or a, on Thurman and the Captain that just grew and grew and grew. <laughs> we would play it at parties. Well, guys, I'm going to let you go and let somebody with more to say come in here. Well, it's always fun talking with you, and uh, I'm glad the envelope is safe. Yes, we'll just keep keep you informed <laughs> and uh, look forward soon. Our, our what is, by the way, what is the uh, the documentary about broadcasters? The is Towers or something, or uh, it talks about Sarnoff and. Oh, great! Well, um. PBS. Yeah, the PBS with, with uh, Kim Bone. That is uh, Empire of the Air. Very good. That's right. Yeah. That's that's one I think that you would enjoy. Super. It sounds great. Yeah. Next cycle we can get that. If you haven't seen that one, that one is uh, very good. You can imagine Burns doing it. Mm -hmm. How good it would be. Yeah. Very uh, excellent. Well, I do thank you, sir. You're quite welcome. I thank you. And uh, are you going to bed or getting up right now? I, what time is it in the Eastern Zone? <laughs> it's 3 o'clock. Oh, I'd probably get a nap and then <laughs> off you about 5. And give us a call later, okay? <laughs> I, I will if, I, if I'm awake, but otherwise we'll talk to you next time. Okay, put the coffee on first. <laughs> okay. Well, and you have a great night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 714. Five four five two zero seven one. I think Patricia and I are getting the hang of this again. Yeah, we're we're getting into the into the swing here. Uh huh. This is good. We get, we, we get, we're rusty without being together after one whole week. Hello there, you're on the air. Good morning, it's Dan. Good morning, Dan. How are you? I gave your announcement, not not the announcement, a preliminary. If you didn't hear it, I heard that. I heard it teased earlier, and then you had some calls, and I came back out of uh, slumberland and 
thought I'd give you a call here and just... Bless your heart. You know, that well, that's all right. Nothing wrong with that. So... All right. Um, do your thing. Do my thing. That website I found was... Let me find it again here. Oh, gosh. I had it here just a minute ago. Do you have it there? It was... Um, I believe it's Rick Danger. Let me just confirm this. Have it. I should have been prepared. I should have known you were going to call. Well, I have. Here it is. I've got it right here. Um, well, I thought I had it right here. Have it. Hold on. One second. It was Mick Radio or something or other like that. Hold on. Don't go away. I got into other emails while I was waiting to get on, so here we are. All right. Right here. It is uh, RadioMixDanger.com. All right. Now, that is Radio Mick, M-I-C-K. Yes. Danger. B-A-N-G-E-R.com. Mm -hmm. It has got more goodies on that site than you could spend a lifetime with. You're going to run out of life before you run out of things to do up there. And uh, the fellow who has created that site is compiling more, and I guess he's indexing, so you can go in and, like, if you're looking for something for Bob Hope, you can click on that link, and it will take you to, you know, all those uh, Bob Hope shows, I guess. Uh-huh. It really is uh, an amazing site. He's really done a wonderful job on it. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, uh, you found a good sign. I was looking for... Uh, a couple of Vincent Price uh, Saint shows, and that's how I found it. You, you've done good. Well, I try. I really do try. So it's fun that he has uh, he has put it up that the down it, it's a downloadable site. So the shows that you find that you like up there, you can download. There are some sites. There aren't very many of them, but there are some sites that will only allow you to listen. It's a media stream. But these, he put them up there, and you can download them. So it's really good. So how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. It's been an interesting week getting ready for a reenactment uh, on next uh, Saturday. Oh, you and, uh, left. Yeah, we're getting ready for two armies to invade the town. So, Or at least one army to invade the town, one army to defend the town. So, you know, we, uh, we have a lot of great reenactors who, that's their hobby. They come through, and they uh, go and put on these recreated battles throughout the country, and uh, we're, I think we've got about 125 reenactors at this point pre-registered to come into town and put on the battles. Some will you know, come in, they'll be Confederates, and some will come in, they'll be Union forces. And We've got hay and we've got wood for the encampments, we've got hay for the horses, straw, uh, we'll have cavalry in, in for the uh, battle. And we have vendors selling uh, items, you know, from that time period. We we had one fellow last year drove in from Houston, Texas, to, as a vendor to sell things here. Ah, goodness! What do the vendors typically offer? They have, um, you know, different camp camping goods that you know would have been typical at that point. Clothing, um, you know, and then there's some that sell, you know, little trinkets, buttons, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. necklaces, um, you know, just, it's a whole industry. I, I was amazed and never would have thought that, you know, certain, these items would, you know, people could make a living, but 
it's like any other, you know, interest. You know, there are experts out there, you know, so just like old-time radio. It sounds like they're all dealing in Civil War uh, items. Mm-hmm. Yes? Very true, yes. That's oh, interesting. We'll have. When you're preparing for this kind of a presentation, I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, a, an enormous undertaking to have two armies and reenact a, an actual battle and they're in uh, period garb. Mm-hmm. Or from the staging standpoint, what is the most difficult part or the, the most, you know, you said, hey, for horses. And I thought, my gosh, I never would have thought of that. Of course, I'm not accustomed to staging. What is the most difficult thing to prepare for or the more, most time-consuming in, in any terms? Well, we actually do feed the reenactors who come to put on, you know, the battle because um, we – we're very appreciative of what they do. So next Saturday we'll have a chicken meal uh, here for them, and then uh, next Sunday morning we'll feed them breakfast. So you know, you know the old adage, you know, an army, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, you have to feed an army, you know, to, to you know. Me travels on it. Going, yeah. I, I, yeah, I forget the exact quote, but you know, it's, a, you know, you have to have all this food for them and you know we have to prepare and that's why we like them to pre-register so we know how many people are coming yeah and um you know and then and you know that's just the humans then you have to think okay you've got horses out there and horses have to be fed and uh you know water is another issue you know for um you know both the humans and the animals so you know we have to haul in water um through culligan and you know it's a it's a big, big factor, and then you know they'll want firewood to build, you know, fires around the camp site. So you know we have to, you know, get vendors to bring all that in, yeah. you know, for the area. So I mean, we've we're spending oh, in the neighborhood of ten thousand dollars to uh, you know put this on. How many people come to watch it? We have a pretty good turnout. We, uh, of course, we try to keep count of, like, how many cars come. Mm-hmm. And I think last year we had, of course, we have two different um, days. We'll have the um, battle on Saturday and then again on Sunday afternoon. I believe if you did a head count, I'd say we had probably near 500 people over the two days. That's a fair number of people. Mm-hmm. It is. So, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we'll try to keep count of what's going on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, we're basically looking at, you know, my committee and, and the people, you know, in the town that help us out. You're looking at about a dozen people who are, you know, putting us on, so. Not very wish many. We had, I wish we had more people, but, you know. <laughs> not a lot of people for a project this size. Yeah, it is. It is. We've got some good. We've got some very good people who you know help us out. Yeah, so. but it's a it's a labor of love, like most things. Um, the one thing, Gordon, we have to, we we can claim that you know we are you know an actual uh, Civil War battle you know site. Uh-huh. So you know there are other towns who do it, but you know they just uh, you know don't really have any connection to the Civil War. Yeah. We had the southernmost conflict in the Civil War 
in my town. Oh, really? No. And you're in? Fort Myers, Florida. Fort Myers. Uh-huh. Yeah. It wasn't a big one, but it was the southernmost. And so we got a claim to fame. For quite a few years, we had reenactments. They were certainly not on the scale that you're talking about. But I have not seen or heard about any for several years, which is, which is kind of sad because... You know, you lose an opportunity to actually be part of history as opposed to sitting down and trying to imagine it when you read it in a book. Mm -hmm. I believe we've had an annual reenactment every year since 19, I believe it was 77. My goodness. So, you know, it's been... You're serious about this. Yeah, we've been we're pretty, pretty um, serious about that, so... Goodness. Would you give your website address for people to find information about this and spell Corden because it's got such an unusual spelling? Sure. Uh, Corden is spelled C-O-R-Y-D-O-N. And your website? Yeah, let me double check oh, on that. Oh, looking. I'm sorry. I thought you were waiting. <laughs> well, I, I have it pulled up here, and I just wanted to make sure. Okay. It's uh, CordonBattlePark.com. CordonBattlePark.com. Yes. C-O-R-Y-D-O-N, BattlePark.com. Yes, and we also have a Facebook page if uh, people will search uh, Battle of Cordon Reenactment. Uh, there's the entire schedule posted on Facebook and also on the Battle uh, the CordonBattlePark.com website, too. How cool. And the Cordon Battle Park site, CordonBattlePark.com, when you uh, hook up with that site, you better duck because you'll hear a cannon blast. Oh, you got sound effects there. <laughs> and uh, if you come to the to the reenactment, you will probably hear actual cannons blasting off, and you'll hear car alarms going off in the uh, distance. <laughs> That's quite. It, it's quite uh, eye-opening when you hear. You know, cannons, you know, blasting off, and you can feel the, the, the shock waves rolling up the valley where we have that. We have the uh, battle, uh, the reenactment near a creek, and you can just feel the, the sound waves rolling up the valley there. Wow. So. That's really exciting. Gunpowder. Where uh, do you get gunpowder for, for things like this? Oh, yes, yes. We. Uh, where do you get it? We, well, the... We've debated in the past about, you know, buying gunpowder and, you know, like, you know, rationing out to the reenactors, but we, you know, just have them provide their own gunpowder because mm -hmm. we feel we feel they're more of an expert at gunpowder than we are. Yeah, well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yes, uh -huh. yes. Because <laughs> I do this, you know. I'm going to go out looking on the internet because everybody knows when you look for stuff on the internet. I'm not going to look for gunpowder, but <laughs> we have Homeland Security knocking on my door. But it's oh. it just never occurred to me that you're going to have to buy gun. Somebody's going to have to buy gunpowder for a, a reenactment on the scale. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh. They 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 uh we we had that same discussion. It's like you know. We could do it, but, you know, we just, you know, would rather them take care of that issue. Sure, it's it's not it's not yours. Do they wind up being reimbursed for any of these expenses? Basically, uh, if they pre-register, they can come to the reenactment for free. 
Now, for we we do give bounties for you know the the first uh, people who uh, pre-register, you know, that, who have cannons, and you know, we also uh, give money out to the first uh, Calvary people who register. Mm-hmm. We want that. We want at least a core base of uh, reenactors. You know, you want so many cannons, you want so many horses, right. or um, you know, you have to have a certain amount of people to do this. Mm-hmm. And then we, that's why we give out these bounties. Okay. How about people to come? How about now? You've, how many horses do you wind up with usually? I believe we normally get between, you know, uh, in the neighborhood of 30, I believe. That's a lot of horses. Do you have a vet on standby? We, there's usually people who are part of the reenactment who are vets. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we, uh, we do have a vet on standby who uh, makes sure, and I'm not that, you know, educated on, you know, horses, but there's some kind of medical condition that's going around in horse uh, populations now, and we um, make sure that they are, have been inoculated for, I'm trying to remember exactly what it is, but it's really rampant in the West. Wow. We, we do have a vet that comes in and makes sure that the horses have been, you know, cared for and the, uh, up on their inoculations and everything. Super. Yeah. You heard about that tornado at Churchill Downs, I guess. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah, it was like uh, last week um, on Wednesday, um, tornado at Churchill Downs um, hit uh, nine barns. Oh, my word. No, that got past me. I did not know that. Yeah, it started over here in our county. It started about five miles from where uh, I live and went and touched down. It was the first tornado that had struck Churchill Downs, I think, since 1927, I believe. That's a long time. Were all of the horses okay? Yeah, none of the horses. Nobody was really injured, but uh, it uh, really, you know, took, you know, damaged nine barns and took uh, several roofs off and uh, you know they they were able to jump in and that happened on a Wednesday and they closed the track on Thursday and they had it open again on Friday they have quite an operation there apparently my goodness are you in the market for a question well I guess I could you know I, I can try my best We're into horses tonight. Yes, how about that? Um, Are you in the market for a horsey question? Sure, why not? We can try. Okay, who rode Loco? Who rode Loco? Yeah, horses. And we're talking about radio... Radio. Horses, okay. Radio. Hmm. This one actually, it went to television as well. It, It was a radio show and a television show, so it covered both bases. Hmm. I'm just going to take a stab. Was it Paladin? Nope. Not nope. Paladin. Okay. Okay. So, think, think of the word loco. Loco, yes. The word loco. Word loco, okay. Meaning the word. Yes, yes. But what is the origin of loco? Well? What, what, um, I, I should, I didn't phrase that correctly. Nationality. Yeah, nationality. Spanish? Yeah. Okay, so... So who rode Loco? Uh, 
Cisco kid, maybe? Cisco kid, maybe not. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a kid pretty close. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, hmm. Cisco kid, pretty close. Yeah, who would who quote to Cisco kid? Oh, um, Don Quixote? No, no. Cisco! Oh. Cisco! What? Oh, Cisco! Yeah, I'm trying to remember what his sidekick's name was. I, I... Oh, Cisco! Yes, what was that? Uh, hmm. You can do it. I just know yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really trying to think. Patricia got the, uh, the senorita down pat on that show already. I have faith. I'm really, I, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know, the old black and white Disney version. Um, oh, heavens. <laughs> Isn't that frustrating? <laughs> oh, that is so frustrating when that happens. I'm really trying to think here. Um, I'm, I'm trying, and, you know, on television, I think that actor was uh, quite a character actor, too. Kind of heavy set guy. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. And I'm even trying to remember who he was. I'm thinking John Banner, but that wasn't him. Um, let's see. Trying to think here. I... And it was a Disney deal. Uh, I mean, the show was on was a Disney creation back in the 50s. Harry Lang played him on radio. Who now? Harry Lang played him on radio. Okay. That's not a help, huh? And then when Harry Lang got sick, yeah. Mel Blank took over the part. Really? I mm -hmm. didn't know that. Yeah. I could see him doing it, but I just can't. I didn't know that offhand. See? This is on radio we're talking about, not TV. See? Si. Sue. Yeah. Yeah. The routine. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, um, I'm gonna take you out of your misery. I'll go to another horse, okay? <laughs> you poor guy. <laughs> I mean, this this was really painful. I I just made you <laughs> sit with that. Okay, who rode um, thunder? Who rode thunder? Hmm. Thunder, thunder, thunder. Oh gosh. I'm trying to think. Who rode thunder? You know, it's really hard when you ask the horses first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the cowboys. You can pretty much come up with the horses, but this is really hard. I'm asking you to do hard stuff. And usually in my brain, I can, like, dig, dig through the clutter and get to, you know, like, the answer eventually if I've ever heard it. But, yeah. like, at 3 a.m., it's like I can't even, you know, get through the clutter in my brain. Um, thunder. Gosh. Would that be Tonto's horse? Nope. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to think horse names and. Come on, thunder! I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Even I wouldn't recognize that one. <laughs> well, that's how you open the show with with the, with the catchphrase you used at the opening of the show. Well, I don't. Come on, thunder! Well, that's only if you listen to the show. <laughs> 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 I have heard many of the shows. I didn't remember that. That's the way the show opened. Uh -huh. I haven't listened to them for in a while. Sure. Okay. And then, and then, and then you heard the whistle in the background. The whistle in the background. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Oh, okay. What? What? Could you give me the years 
So really throughout the 40s. This is thunder you're talking about, right? Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that's not doing anything either. Who rode Tony the Wonder Horse? Tony the Wonder Horse. Hmm. Boy, I'm really getting you awful tonight. You poor guy. I just never really got into horse shows or the westerns, or I didn't pay attention to that. Well, then um, I should go to oh. an unhorsey question. That's right. That's All right. Well, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Right. I, I, w- I lived on a farm. We had cattle, but we didn't use horses. We just ran after them. <laughs> ran after the cows. That's funny. All right. <laughs> Edgar, this one was, was put out before, and somebody didn't answer. Edgar Bergen's daughter was sometimes referred to as Charlie McCarthy's sister. What was yes. her name? Edgar Bergen's daughter was uh-huh. Candace Bergen. Very good. See? Yes. You can do it. You can do it. I, I, I'm just not very apt on horses there, you know. It's like Gosh, I didn't know that. I wouldn't I wouldn't have done that to you if I had known that you were not a horsey person. <laughs> Cisco Kid, was that Poncho? Yes. Yes. There you go. Oh, that, yes, it was Pancho. Isn't it amazing how the brain works? If you leave it alone, stuff will pop up. Well, a- you know, it's, it's just a matter of, you know, the time, too. You know, uh-huh. it's like, okay. <laughs> You're right about that. Things just, you think about them, things yep. will pop up like that. So. No matter how hard you squeeze, they're not going to pop until you're not paying attention. That's right. That's okay. Right. All right, so... That means, of course, that I can dig into my storehouse here and send you something. What would you like? You know, you had mentioned earlier that you had monitor shows. I, I'd kind of be interested in some of those. Monitor shows would be my pleasure. They really are great shows. I um, I've only, I haven't really listened to any in the past, but I've read about them. And um, were they now? At one point, wasn't the monitor shows, like, didn't they run the entire weekend? Like, maybe toward the end of their run? It was actually very early in their run. They ran for the entire weekend, and they cut back from there. Okay. I wasn't sure about that. And Gene Rayburn was one of the announcers? Oh, gosh, they had everybody. They had Gene Rayburn and Kristen uh, away and hmm? Morgan, and who else did they have? Don, Don Imus. Uh, Dave wow. Dave Garraway. Right, I said Dave Garraway. Yeah, they had Clifton Fadiman with the host. That's right. Uh, Joe Joe Joshua. Oh, yeah. Um, he was there uh, several times. Joe Joshua. Y- yep. Yeah. He he did it several times, and it was kind of surprising. I think um Ed McMahon did. Yeah, one. Jim, Ed McMahon did. It was on for twenty years. Mm-hmm. It first started out at forty hours a weekend. Wow. And eventually, at the till in 1975, they cut back, you know, to I think 16 hours a weekend or something. But uh, mm-hmm. and they did special features. They did uh, the news. They did the you know record show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and I'm trying to remember the fellow's name who the creator of Monitor was also the creator of the Today and the Tonight Show. Correct. His name was uh, Pat Weaver. Who is Sigourney Weaver's father? Correct. And he lived yeah. to 96, and he worked on the Fred Allen radio show back in the 30s. Wow. And he was the uh, creator because he wanted something to hold people's interest on the weekends. Mm-hmm. And that's what he came up with the concept in 55. 
At that time, did they rerun content throughout the weekend, or was it all fresh content? It was all fresh. It was one and done. Wow. They had to come up with 40 different hours. Mm-hmm. And they even did special features, like a birthday salute to Bob Hope or Frank Sinatra, and just put it once, a one-hour spot. I think I heard something, um, and I forget if it was, it was like Bob Hope or... Yep. I, might have been George Burns. Yep, I played, I think I, I played that a while back. Right, I played with George Burns, I played the Bob Hope, I played the Frank Sinatra. So they were really good specials. And they would sometimes just go ahead and devote a whole hour to a personality birthday. Mm-hmm, yeah. That is, uh, you know, some, um, of course I work in libraries, and through LexisNexis, sometimes we will pull up uh, transcriptions of, you know, um, you know, different news programs and, and I was thinking, you know, some of these uh, monitor shows, you know, with these featurettes or features would really uh, be informative if they were transcribed. I think you're right. Yep, that's right. Mm -hmm. So. Well, you guys have any special radio archives somewhere in Indiana? Do, do they have anybody kept the history of Indiana radio somewhere in one of the libraries? Or maybe some of the most famous personalities that came from Indiana who worked in radio? Anything like that that you know of? I'm, I'm pretty sure that they do here in Indiana someplace. Uh -huh. I'm more uh, familiar with the Kentucky. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the right name. There is a... Um, I think there is a Kentucky Hall of Fame uh, or something. Yeah, there, there's, a, there's a Kentucky Radio Broadcast Museum right. over in Frankfurt. Of course, <laughs> I'm only about, I'm about 50 miles from that, and it was built about 10 years ago, and, and they do have, uh, you know, a building right there on I-64 outside of Frankfurt. Mm. I've wanted to stop in there to, to, you know, to visit it, but, of course, you know how things are. You know, sometimes you would like to do things, and you don't have the opportunity to do mm -hmm. that. So, But uh, I do believe there's one also in Indiana. Of course, it would be up in Indianapolis, I do believe. And, um, yeah, a lot – I've – been getting a lot of emails about the um, the one that is uh, in, up there in Chicago. Ah, the the museum up there. Yes, yeah. the one that's uh, still, run by the Dumont. They're still or, trying. Uh, yeah, they're still trying to raise money to build that thing. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to have an opening here in the fall. Ah. Because I actually received an email from Betty White. She's been asking for donations for that. Well, that's where the Fibber, McGee, and Molly script collections at, everybody, and they had uh, replicas of Jake, Jack Benny's uh, vault, and I think that's what uh, one of the Charlie McCarthy dolls is, is, is over there. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Really? Yep. Actually, there is a, um, there is a uh, ventriloquist museum in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, which is outside of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. I think it's Covington. Yeah. Uh, right next door to uh, yeah. Fort Mitchell. Uh, it's up there in that uh, area. Of course, there are neighboring communities up huh? there. But uh, well, Farfel lives there. You're who? Farfel. And really? Uh huh. Farf you know Farfel? Yeah. Yeah. We had it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Farfel. Farfel was there, and uh, Charlie McCarthy is there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of Paul Winchell's, I, I think it was Jerry, it's Jerry Mahoney, is mm -hmm. there. 
And it's a wonderful collection. They've really got some some great information on a website. One of the things that just tickled me half to death was that Don Knotts, uh, they, they have Hall of Fame people and a list of all of the ventriloquists who have performed professionally, and Don Knotts was a ventriloquist. He started out as a ventriloquist, not an actor. And they had him in the service, and he had his dummy with him while he was in the Army. And he was stationed on an island, and forgive me, I don't know which island it was, but when it was time to be shipped out, he left his dummy on the beach and reported him as missing in action. <laughs> I thought, I just love that story. Just love that story. And it, it doesn't say anything about the outcome, whether or not he wound up <laughs> being punished for fi filing a missing in action, but his dummy was missing in action. And that was the last time he performed, was in the service. He, he did a, a, a brief... Uh, uh, he did just a brief stint of that in the Return to Mayberry uh, movie. I do remember that. Just uh, he did some ventriloquist work. I, he did. He went out to to one of the schools to do a, to do a, a ventrilo ventriloquist act in the Return to Mayberry movie. I remember seeing that. Of course, that was oh my goodness, 20, twenty four years ago in the character of Barney Fife. In the character of Barney Fife, yes. How much fun is that? Sorry, mm -hmm. I missed yeah. it. Yeah, I believe his uh, his dummy was called Danny. Do you know how many Dannys are up there? I went through the entire list one night of the ventriloquists who are listed there, and there are many. We're talking dozens. The name Danny reappeared so many times. I was astounded. I don't know, and Jimmy Nelson didn't know either what the appeal was of the name Danny. One of his dummies is Danny. Hmm. I don't know might have been the time when... when Maybe she should have used to say the word Danny when you're doing your voice. I don't know. Dummy Danny. Maybe it was the alliteration. My my dummy's name is Danny. It sounds kind of musical, Danny Dummy. But the, the name Danny reappears quite frequently on the list. I think maybe Daniel was a popular name, like when that was coming about. I'm thinking offhand probably that that ventriloquism uh, became popular in the late 1800s. That I don't know. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about that. That's yeah, just what sure. my... I mean, it was, it was Vaudeville in the 20s. That's when Edgar Bergen was using it. And it probably mm -hmm. goes back to that, the 1800s. I would assume so. Is it true? I, I think I remember a story that uh, Bergen, you know had to basically get out of the method of ventriloquism for the radio, and he had to not throw his voice like he would normally do if he was a, you know, doing it in front of a live audience for the miking system. He would use his, he would actually mouth the words at Charlie, just in case he figured for the radio audience, he they better understand what Charlie is saying. I see. And so he got a little lazy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's a famous story in Las Vegas. He decided to take Charlie on a stage, uh, stage show. And Bill Baldwin, with the announcer, who was also his announcer on the radio days, tells the story. And he told it to John Dunning. He said, and when he was in Vegas, 
the front row occasionally have a few extra drinks. <laughs> and he Edgar overheard this one guy uh, saying, while well, Edgar bowing, you know, Paul Winchell would never move his lips. Mm-hmm. And Edgar, while he was hearing this round of applause, was bowing and he whispered to the guy, but Paul Winchell doesn't have my $6 million. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I go online and on YouTube and I watch uh, the What's My Land uh, shows, you know, that are on there. And I uh, have watched the one where he, where Paul Winchell is on the panel and uh, Edgar Bergen is the mystery guest. And oh, it, it's missed, really entertaining. I missed that. Um, That'd be fun. You can kind of see that there was a little friction between them. Mm. Well, I apologize. It's Fort Mitchell. Um, it is not Covington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were, you were so right. And I'm looking for the list that I had. They've got a new website. Unfortunately, when new websites go up, sometimes good information goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I remember seeing, uh, like in the 1970s on a local news, they were talking about starting that museum. And I was pretty sure it was in Fort Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's been open probably since like 77 or so. Yeah, they've been um, a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. It has been. So, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good, oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember. You had, Walden, I think you had a, a fellow on, and I'm trying to remember remember who he was, who, oh, gosh, who was it? A ventriloquist? Yes, a ventriloquist yep. within the last year. Yeah, it would have been Jimmy Nelson who has Danny O'Day and Farfel, the N-E-S-T-L-E-S. Yeah. N-E-S-T-L-E-S, Nestle. Who, who, who did, did the voice for the little wacky um, doodle cartoon? Oh, uh, uh, Jimmy Weldon. Okay, yeah, I called him and spoke to him because yeah. I think, did you interview him or was that someone else? No, maybe, I, it was, uh, maybe it was Bill. I've had Jimmy on. I have Jimmy on many times. Probably he had Bill would have him on too once or twice. You bet. Yeah, Bill. I think it was Bill. Now uh-huh. um, had Jimmy Weldon on, and Jimmy was saying that his original uh, puppet he still had him, and I forget the puppet's name, but it, it was a duck, mm-hmm. and he said that um, Webster. He, Webster. That's right. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, wondering, wanting to, you know do something with that, of course, he's, uh, and I, I called in and mentioned, you know, the, uh, the museum up there in Fort Mitchell, I don't know if you ever looked into, you know, saying about donating that to them or not, but they, they do a good job on keeping, you know, the, uh, the dummies in good condition up there. Well, that'd be good, you know, uh, Jimmy has, I think, two, one to heavier one than the other. Mm-hmm. And and, a, and for guys who use puppets and things, uh, there's a certain feel, and they feel awkward, and they don't have the original guy who they work with for all these years. Mm-hmm. They just yeah. throw them off a little bit. Yeah, I uh, think he said his mother made the original, and yes, uh-huh. was getting so worn that he had a professional make a second one so he could use you right. know, out in mm-hmm. public. Yep. That would be Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh, you uh, had someone on earlier who had mentioned that he was 
looking at getting a stem cell transplant? Yes. That, okay. I was just going to pass along the word that uh, those stem cell transplants are really amazing. My uh, niece was diagnosed with Hodgkin's. Oh, my. About five years ago. Uh-huh. And she, she had a stem cell transplant about three years ago, and, and it really uh, saved her life. So I was just going to tell him, you know, that uh, they are really amazing uh, procedures. It's amazing, you know. Um, we we get uh, we had in my line club this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One of the uh, my one of our best friends had lung cancer earlier this year. They went in and cut it out, and he's fine. Uh-huh. And his wife, his wife. Went in for operation, had a hole in her heart, mm-hmm. and she went in one day and went home the next day for only forty-eight thousand dollars. I mean, but mm-hmm. she found it's amazing what modern medicine mm-hmm. does. That somebody goes in to a major procedure in your home within a day or so. It's just mm-hmm. unbelievable. My my niece at um, she was about nine and a half. Mm-hmm. She started having pain and. Uh, her and her one arm and um, near the elbow and they went in and they discovered that she had Hodgkin's mm-hmm. and they uh, put her in the local and all these hospitals are great hospitals they put her in a local hospital here in Louisville and they gave her all four different rounds of chemo and, and that didn't take care of the problem and um, then she had one stem cell transplant using her own um, stem cells and um, it came back and then uh, we went to Cincinnati Children's Hospital and uh, they did that with donor stem cells and uh, she's been fine ever since but uh, you know it's uh, it's amazing what they can do it is something else yeah, that's true. Well, okay, Dan, I will get Monitor out to you, and I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. I think I will, too. I've always wanted to, like, listen to a full program. Uh, it seems like they aren't uh, played on, you know, different, you know, I, I don't know if Bill has really played many of those on the uh, station over the years. No, I, I think because uh, a lot of cases... There weren't that many hours, and they've been popping up more and more often lately. But I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't concern Bill Pinano all these years. Probably why the Dick Jockey didn't have access to that many of them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's true. That's probably a partly the reason. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I sure appreciate it. And I probably won't be speaking to you next week due to you my have, schedule. You're, you're, uh, you're going to be feeding the Army. I'm going to be feeding the Union and Confederate Army. All right. <laughs> but uh, encourage everyone, you know, who might be in the area to drop in, and uh, we've got uh, we've got uh, a couple of family who will be living in our new uh, cabin out at the actual battle park. They're going to be doing a, a living history out there. They're going to have they're going to be cooking and doing a quilting bee and and. Uh, yeah, they can drop by and see how people lived back in the 1860s. Do you sell earplugs? <laughs> no, we. Hey, that might be a good fundraiser. That's for me. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> Winner to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, you all take care. Thanks so much. All right, Dan. Hey, Dan.
Take care. See you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Interesting, you know, the family. I think our family's not really an early morning rising family. You know, they don't call it ten thirty at night. They just wait. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, they call it all different hours. Yeah. I've, got the, I've got the Don Knotts information. All right. Well, how, 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 what, what's new with Don over there? First, his first stint as an entertainer was... <laughs> and we can talk about Don Knotts in a minute. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Hello there. Hi, it's me again. Hi, me. Did you have your nap? Yes, I did. Oh, good, Fred. I'm going to go back to sleep, but <laughs> Patricia just kept mentioning things that I wanted to comment. I, I was going to comment on it. I said, I'll call next week. And then she'd bring up something else. I said, oh, I'll call next week. It just got to be too much, so I had to call. <laughs> what am I mentioning that has you all hot and bothered? Yeah, well, things, I just thought it was kind of cool. Like, coincidental, but cool. Like, you were talking about that uh, environmental uh, island you guys got down there. Sandball? On Sanibel Island, right. And how they're really into, like, uh, the wilderness and all this kind of stuff and the regulations. I just watched a special on them. On and how alligators are becoming a problem on that island. Yes, they, the alligators because are Because apparently, all over the rest of Florida, you guys have a rule that if an alligator over four feet becomes a problem with humans, it gets destroyed. Well, there they don't destroy them, I guess. I guess they put them back into a wildlife sanctuary, but but then they just find their way back to where they were. And I guess um, it's becoming a problem. I'm, I'm not quite sure about removing the alligator and moving it simply to another place. Because once, once it becomes a problem around humans, it means that 